Hi, if I could take a moment of your time before we start. If you've enjoyed previous episodes or if you enjoy this episode, if you could subscribe on the platform that you listen to, that would be really helpful. It helps us get more guests and push the podcast forward. Thanks. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi everyone, welcome back to the podcast. And as you can see, I'm I don't have anyone in my room today, but through the joys of the internet, I have Mr. Tim, also known as Shmi150. Hi Tim. Hi, how you doing? Good to be here. <laughs> good, good. Um, can you give the audience a little bit of an intro? I think most people will probably know who you are, but like who you are and sort of what you do. Um, who am I? YouTube guy, Shmi150. Um, been making videos about supercars for the last 10 years or so across all the different social media pages and what okay let's just start let's start from the beginning and then we'll run to sort of now and and my first question actually was sort of how we met because most people probably don't know we go a long 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 way back a long way back through many different types of things not just cars um yeah what, what is it about almost 20 years now yeah, it's I think, quite crazy. Yeah, we met when we were like 13. 13 or so at school. We went to um, school together. I think it was in like maths class or something. Um, <laughs> even back then, you were always trying to make money, always involved <laughs> in little businesses. Can you tell <laughs> yep, us a little bit fair. about one of your earlier businesses? To say. I was going to say, when you just mentioned maths, I definitely remember asking for one or two answers very last minute back, back then. <laughs> But no, uh, there was there was definitely a thing from my side in trying to work out how to sell just about anything that could be sold. Yeah, phones, gadgets, bits and pieces, eBay account, selling anything, selling anything here and there. And I remember being the, the teachers kind of wondering why I had parcels turning up at school every <laughs> single day and <laughs> why I went to the post office all the time carrying bags full of things to post out. But anyway, that all worked out pretty well. But yeah, I guess that was that was the start, and then obviously we had a, a whole period of skiing. Um, yeah, we moving went skiing cars. together. We we bought a car together. We did. Well, I guess that was your first car. My, that was my, my first car, car, and I never drove my first car. You never drove it. You didn't have a driving <laughs> license. 
we, we shared it, about 700 pounds. It was a, a 1987 Subaru Leone station wagon. I'll never Possibly forget that beast. The most capable off-road vehicle I've ever been in. Do you remember the day when we were driving up the mountain in bad conditions and just drove past pickups putting uh, snow chains on? Y- yes. One of our friends, a guy called Tom Akas, who we didn't know at the point that point in time, we'd just start work. We just, I think we were going for our first day um, of as working either as instructors or about to apply. And we were driving up this hill and it was like snow everywhere. And this like brand new Toyota Hilux was pulled over on the side of the road with like massive off-road tires. And he'd like stopped to put chains on and we just burnt past him in this Subaru. Never forget it. The advantage of skinny tires. I think we didn't even have winter tires on it, did we? Just some all season. I think all seasons and narrow. Yeah. Yeah. Really skinny. Four wheel drive. It's like a five-speed manual. Probably had next to no power whatsoever, but skis dumped in the back. Didn't have, didn't care in the world about anything mm. to do with it. Just it got us to the ski slopes to go have some fun, and got us back home again. Yeah, do you remember it's, it's it? Do you remember? I say, do you remember it even had a different color boot? <laughs> it did. It did. I, we were looking at pictures of this. They had a different color boot. One of the back doors would open like on Tuesdays, yes. and that's about it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Didn't one day we we started it up. And the rev counter and the speedos had like swapped positions. Yes, absolutely. I remember that. That happened a few times. They were going the other way, so you you'd accelerate up to about thirty kilometers an hour or something. But the 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 dial, because of it being the rev counter, had gone all the way up, and it, it showed that you're going one hundred and fifty or whatever. I don't know it how that worked. It just seemed to like not reset or something, and just kept going up. Yeah. So that was early, early, early days. When did you start filming cars? When did you start? getting involved in this youtube marquee we you know what it was all actually around that time so we bought that subaru leone in 2008 and that was probably i would say a few months either before or after i had first posted car stuff online mm. um, i was engaging in forums uh, pre the days of social media carrying a point and shoot camera to take pictures because mobile phones didn't really have cameras um so before it got to youtube for me it was taking photos and uploading the photos onto you know, static web pages or my Facebook albums. Back in the day where you could have a total of 20 pictures per album on Facebook before it became yeah. 60 and then before it became even more, I remember having, you know, cool cars and number plates, album one, <laughs> with my first 20 photos. And then, you looked then at that more. recently. Yeah, it's great. You know what? <laughs> really funny fact, one of the very first pictures was on a car without saying, you know, too much detail because yeah. it's a privacy thing. One of the very first cars is actually somebody who lives around the corner from me now because the same number plate. I obviously On recognize the same car. it. It's a different car. I'm but afraid to say it's, it's been a downgrade of car in the, in the time, but it's, oh. it's around the corner, which is kind of cool. Um, but I mean, after probably, I think about three or four of those albums, just on just random photos, you know, being in London, seeing cars with really nice number plates, you know, as mm. well as I do that here, a plate can cost as much as a supercar if it's a really short one or reads a perfect word. And sometimes you see these plates on cars that are like worth five grand. Yeah, like exactly. A single, single plate. And you know the plate's been handed down in the family or, or whatever it mm. might be, and and that that seems to happen quite a lot. So I had, you know, I liked the plates because being a, I guess, mathematical kind of nerdy person, I liked the working out what exactly they would read. Um, so it was those pictures, and then the. The first video on YouTube, it's actually, it connects straight back to the time we spent skiing. It was, I don't know if you would uh, remember this, but I, I had in December around Christmas time bought myself a new video camera, which was just after our second period 
uh, out with the Lyon. Yeah. Um, new video camera with the intention to film that season's ski stuff and literally as a way of testing it out went out around filming some videos heard that there was a top gear event going on with two new cars outside and shot a video and stuck it on youtube and that was video number one video number one so what year was that 2009 january the, january the 18th 2010 nice nice marker to remember and an easy one ish yeah well easy for me because we just passed obviously the 10th anniversary 10 years yeah. On YouTube, Ten years, which is kind of crazy. Ten years, almost four thousand videos, over seven hundred million video views. Wow, it's kind of crazy. Yeah, that is mental. Wow. Yeah, for seven hundred million video views. Yeah, for some context, I think there are only about five hundred to six hundred million people in the world who speak English as a first language. Wow, so, <laughs> it's a big number. That is a big number. Have you any idea? Cool. No, no, there's no way of getting this number. Like unique number of humans you've reached. No, you can't. You can't see anything like that on YouTube. Of course, you can. You can see countries and you can see the regional breakdowns. In some cases, you can see cities and that kind of info. But you is can't there get like a kind of surprising com- country that watches the most that you're like, oh, that's kind of random. Obviously, US and UK are probably the biggest. I'm yeah, just US guessing. and then UK are number one and two. I think it's when you take smaller but very developed countries those are the surprising ones like if you look at norway or something for Mm. example that kind of country norway finland maybe switzerland i always have more views than the population of the country Um, (laughs) if you look at the lifetime there's one country that really stands out you'll be amused by this occasionally i get views from north korea wow yeah go figure i have no idea (laughs) maybe the stats are wrong there's some vpn company running through north korea when I, when I say occasionally, I mean like one or two a year. I don't yeah. mean like daily. <laughs> but interesting one, hey? Yeah, that is. Okay, so you started off filming with this little camera. What In early days, what were, you film, like, what were you filming? What were your videos consisted of back then? Well, I think this is one thing a lot of people nowadays don't actually really know the history of YouTube and how it kind of started and where it was. I mean, YouTube has only existed since about 2006. Hmm. So relatively speaking, I was on it in the fairly early stages, but still 10 years ago, it was a very different platform to what it is now. Yeah. Back then it was, as the name suggests, YouTube. You stuck a video on it, almost using it like a hosting platform. Yeah. And then you would send a link to your family, friends, whoever it might be, or even post the link on a static forum for yeah. people to go and watch. Nobody really went to YouTube to browse or find some of the content. You know, you didn't you didn't go to the YouTube homepage as a way of killing five hours Sorry. a day, which you do yeah. now. You went to YouTube when you were specifically going for something in particular. So it's a very different place. So even for me at the beginning, all of my first videos were basically about a car, you know, almost a Wikipedia of cars. It was, here's a Ferrari 599 GTB. I'm going to walk around it for a minute and focus in on some of the cool details about this car. So you weren't, it wasn't kind of the story, the vlog, the, mm. I guess, detailed experience and even more premium content it is now. It was literally just, here are all the cars I'm videoing. I would go, you know, to events and we did quite a few times. We went to many events, I think, in the early years, actually, uh, together when you were taking photos. Yeah, we went to a lot. Videos, the likes of the Goodwood Festival of Speed. And obviously, nobody had social media listed as a thing back then. It didn't yeah. really exist, but... I would just stick a camera on a tripod in two directions, film a car that drove past, put the clips together and stick it on YouTube. That yeah, was that was kind of that. a video. I mean, not every video was 15 seconds, but 
um, videos were, you know, two or three minutes long. I might go out. Uh, what I did a lot was I went out because I used to live in the popular area of London for all of these cars where many things have been seen over the years. I'd go out and just walk around the streets for a day. And then I'd go home with my 500 video clips, find the kind of 10 that were taken of one particular car, wash them together in a montage. It might be five minutes long and stick it on the internet. Okay, so yeah. it was like this kind of library, almost stock footage library. I guess yeah. it was kind of like that at the beginning. Um, but obviously a bit being on top of almost news things that were happening. It was a super sensitive topic back then, 2010, 2011, 2012, with cars driving around London that had come over from the Middle East, often with loud exhausts, and it became almost a bit of tension between the local residents and the visitors. And I guess being part of that kind of story brought a lot of eyeballs onto my channel. Yeah, funny how it's gone from that to where it is now. Yeah, and I think back then and even now, like that was the start of people using YouTube to just find out about certain cars. Like they've never seen a Zonda and there's one in London and you filmed it. Yeah, it's exactly how it worked. You know, I you, you probably remember it well. There was a Pagani Zonda Cinque that was frequently driving around the streets of London. And Cinque, there were five coupes and five roadsters, <laughs> a spectacularly rare car. And then here we were filming videos of it and sticking them on the internet. And being, I guess, a tech enthusiast also with the cameras, I was upgrading cameras at the time as soon as new technology was coming along. But I've been filming in 1080p from the beginning. You know, 10 years ago, I was sticking 1080p videos on the internet, which I remember the amount of hours I would have to wait for videos to process and upload. It was yeah. certainly a, length, a lengthy game. But back then, obviously, that was quite far ahead. You know, if, if phones had cameras, they were probably taking pictures in 1024 by 768 or something. They weren't, oh, yeah, they weren't yeah. exactly doing high, high def videos. Uh, and you certainly weren't on WhatsApp pinging pictures over to friends or videos of what's happening live. Mm. So, yeah, it was very, very different as a whole process. And it gave people from around the world this option to go to YouTube, to search for a car, to see footage of it, literally driving around, um, create that very relatable, I guess, viewing experience. Yeah. It, yeah. And I remember, I just remember from back then, so many of like the, the standout ones, I think there was like a 599 GTO doing a burnout or sort of like a hard yeah. acceleration. Yeah. And, and that those was, those were the topics, weren't they? Loud revs, hard acceleration, <laughs> yeah, flat outs, yeah. launch control. It was it was very different because I mean my my channel has evolved through different iterations over the years. You know, the beginning period was all the car spotting we could call it. Then it became the road trips. Then it became uh, the supercar experiences. Then it became test drives, and more recently, it's living the supercar dream. The, the kind of whole whole thing brought together. But back then, it was all those car spotting videos. It was, like I said, a, li a library of the different cars, but also the different things happening. You know, it would be loud flyby or, or whatever it might be of, of a different yeah. car. And obviously trying to film a lot of the craziest cars in the brightest colours, um, you know, the likes of the Koenigseggs, Paganis, Bugattis that were all coming over and just being driven around. And uh, I, you know, I've seen some crazy cars while car spotting around London. I think you don't see as many now, actually, as you used to back then. Yeah. Um, but almost because of how much attention is on it. Whereas at the time, myself and, and one or two others, you know, some of some of our mutual friends, Alex Penfold, Chris from Munch997, Rich and Williams, a couple of the other early YouTubers, we, we all knew each other. We were a very small group roaming the streets of Knightsbridge and Mayfair to go and try and find all of these cars every weekend. Yeah, it was, it was such a small group of people. I had, I've had Paul on the podcast and he was talking yeah. about how he used to set, use YouTube to save pictures from his phone because his phone was running out of battery or, or space yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah it was sort of it's funny when you look at that group of people 
now like okay some people are not really involved but still love cars but then yeah there's like paul obviously penfolds taking pictures everywhere you're doing this like it's, it was just a, such a small group there weren't that many people involved but everyone is still in it still doing it in some sort of professional way now yeah pretty much that's true the the kind of funny thing with paul actually is although he and i were both on the you know walking around and doing the same thing mm. i didn't actually really know him for about two years into doing it Paul yeah. and I, at the time he had a friend of his who was also helping filming zach and i i never knew them. we never really crossed paths yeah it's quite funny out of everybody who was doing this i mean we we're both fully aware of who each other was so to speak yeah, yeah. didn't didn't know each other <laughs> yeah mad at what point in time did you start you started off and you're filming these cars statically and driving past and all this sort of stuff and what time did you change to filming yourself so i think this this was all was part of decision it was it was all part of a much bigger story really i think what a lot of people don't realize as well is back then where as a youtuber you didn't earn anything you didn't do it mm. as a business you didn't do it to try and make money you did it because you enjoyed cars and videos and in my case i enjoyed the engagement and you know the comments that would come in and actually meeting people in the real world who had the same interest of cars that i did whether that was through youtube or through people knowing what i was already doing on youtube um so at the beginning for me you know it was purely um a thing to do for fun with no pressure or I guess stress you know it was just whatever time was available yeah. but as as it went by um, as a couple of years went by I, I started I can't tell you off the top of my head when I did my first ever uh, piece to camera so to speak I think I can probably, remember I think it was I, when we went to I know Dubai. which video it was or which when for the was most that? show 2011 uh, no, way before then I, before then before then no, I think my first ever video was me talking about my Aston Martin Vantage Roadster. I could probably find it, but it was either late 2010 or early 2011. Yeah. Probably early 2011, to be fair. Um, but then that wasn't even a regular thing. It took a long time. I didn't start really being full talking to camera until mid-2013. Mm. So at that point, I've already uploaded over a 1,000 videos to the channel, <laughs> which is kind of crazy to think about. Um, so many videos. Yeah, completely, completely different, I guess, to, to starting from scratch. But it had obviously evolved through quite a few stages, even up to that point, you know, going mm. to the motor shows, filming first videos of things, taking looks at new cars, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Wow. So, you, okay. So you're then talking to camera, filming more, filming more, just you at this point. Presumably at, at some point, one of the questions people have asked to ask you is like, is, there's a team behind Shmi. Is there a team behind Shmi? Or is it just there is There is kind of a team behind Shmi. There's a, there's a lot of things that there's no kind of strict rule for it. So obviously for those first 1,000 videos or so, that was all me on my own, just walking yeah. around, cycling around in many cases, actually. I kind of missed that stage. I, I went through a phase of cycling after cars through central London, which sounds a bit <laughs> reckless now like holding a video camera in one hand, cycling with the other hand and sticking it in the, up the exhaust tailpipe of a car. Anyway, I guess it was quite innovative at the time because no one else was doing it. I remember you, I remember you doing it and, and you were like, I can get around so quickly on my bike and it doesn't take very long. Get from you my could house. Be, you could beat cars. You could get from traffic light to traffic light quicker than any car in central London. You know, they've, they've got a max speed if, there's, if it's clear of 30 miles an hour. You can get to 20 on a bike easy enough. Yeah. And they're not going to get ahead of you at any traffic light and you can maneuver around more easily. Like you can get around London quicker on a bicycle than in a car. 
And I actually used to cycle to on that topic. I used to cycle to work. So I used yeah. to cycle from my, my place uh, over towards that direction across to the east of the city. And I used to frequently, you know, see a car go past my garage exit when I'd come out on my bicycle and then yeah. be roughly in line with the same bicycle all the way to the city, you know, 8 a.m. on the weekday morning. Yeah. And the car just wouldn't get there quicker. Like cycling is the easiest way to get around. But obviously safety is a little bit more highly, I guess, sought after now than it was a decade ago. Yeah. It's a slightly different thing. But yeah, it's kind of funny actually thinking about lots of memories flooding back in right now. (laughs) (laughs) What point in time did YouTube start to become a business and start to earn money and you start to take it like seriously? Um, You know, obviously you're doing thousands of videos. That's quite committed. I mean, this connects exactly to the previous question, which obviously we weren't fully explaining properly, the the team side of thing. The team and the business, yeah. I would say, very much has come together. Back in about 2012, a close contact of mine, Mark, uh, who you know well, nick- now nicknamed Schmark, as we forced upon yeah. him. I will point out that he did not <laughs> want to be called that name. <laughs> um, I kind of set up an Instagram page and said, hey, this is yours. So Mark had been working for a web blog at the time. And so he was very clued in with the industry. You know, he'd been on press launches, test drives. He was a journalist, an automotive journalist. Uh, and he got involved more in helping run the behind the scenes stuff of Shimi 150, but even all the way back then, which is crazy now. And obviously it was earning a tiny bit of money going into 2013. We'll get onto that question next. Yeah. But it wasn't enough to, you know, pay salaries or, or, or anything like that. Or, you know, it certainly wasn't funding my life it was you know even running a sensible car it wasn't yeah like a, it, it was here have 100 quid this month here have 200 yeah. quid this month <laughs> and mark i guess handled most of the business stuff behind the scenes behind what was going on so making all those introductions working with companies that would approach um in terms of branded content opportunities but also just lining up what might happen in the future mm. so since since then the team has kind of grown and shrunk and grown and shrunk because ultimately, even now, and I think a lot of people don't realize this, all of my videos, even when I'm uploading them daily, I film and edit all of them. Like it doesn't, they don't, no one else does it. I do it. And a lot of people don't, can't work out where the hours in the day for that comes from. And I can't work out where the hours no in the day for that come from. <laughs> but, but somehow they do. You know, even if you see a 20 minute video seven days a week, I still filmed all of that and edited all of that occasionally we do a super special video where someone like Benzine Ben steps yeah. in or, or someone else to help do a nice, a professional edit, mostly because I don't have the time to, because I'm still trying to pump out the daily videos in the process. Yeah. Um, so I guess along the way, you know, a few other people have got involved in helping with the, the serious side of things, you know, not the, the videos. It, it's it's an odd one, but the the YouTube channel is kind of the face of a bigger business behind the scenes. It's not just, the videos the videos are actually quite an insignificant thing of everything that is going on yeah they're actually one of the so one of the easiest bits is making the video and getting it online so the team is more everything else that's happening you know the guys helping with the social media pages helping with whatever else we might be doing but we try and outsource a lot we try and mark is trying to has always tried to run the show as in we do focus on what we need to focus on yeah and find someone else who can do whatever else it might be best you know if it's the merch store get a third party merch company to run everything obviously they have to sign everything off through us but we don't create the designs yes they do it and come to us or if it's you know setting up an affiliate scheme with something or whatever it might be it's easier to find people who know what what they they have their area of expertise yeah they know what's going on we focus on what we we do so 
Team-wise, it's only really myself and Mark, yeah. plus lots of other people who come in and out for various different things along the way. You know, if we go on a big trip and take a bunch of cars, it's nice to take all the people who get involved in some form. And in fact, that should have been happening, but obviously not not possible. But that's the time when we can get everybody together and almost yeah. brainstorm ideas as to, as to what, what we should do What was that number of next. people? I know you, you had a trip planned to get... You, you've done it a couple, a couple of times, haven't you, where you've tried taken like an extended group of like the crew. The crew, yeah, the... The, the latest plans were a, a, a group of six uh, cars, so 12 people. Is that They're six all, of your cars? Guess, yeah. So that's all people who are involved in some form in what's going on. Yeah. So like I say, it's not like a team of people working in an office on full-time salaries, yeah. but it's people who do different things in a part-time way mm. around the clock, but who are all good friends. <clears throat> I mean, that's one of the, the most important things for me. You know, this is sharing a passion and enjoyment for cars, so that's quite important along the way. But yeah, in terms of teams, when I go off on a big trip, like around the USA or something, it's yeah. just myself. One man band. Does that get lonely? No, not at all. <laughs> I, I, I enjoy being focused. And yeah. I think one of, you know, this is actually quite a, a cool thing that comes from doing this is meeting so many people in so many places around the world that you're never lonely. Wherever yeah. you go, I can turn up in a random city somewhere and there's probably somebody I know. If there isn't somebody I know, there's probably somebody I can meet with whom I've got a ton of mutual friends and a lot to talk about, about yeah. cars. And I don't mean even just the obvious hotspots, the Dubais and Los Angeles. Yeah. I mean, all the random places, you know, when I stopped in Lima, when I stopped in Mexico City, when I stopped in, you know, Christchurch, when I, everywhere I've been, which is just the coolest thing about doing this is this global community and the fact that it's, you know, there are no borders online. It's it's open to everyone around the world. It is well, pretty much pretty much everyone around the yeah. world. There are one or two countries, <laughs> a couple of countries cordoned off. Um, yeah. I, I found that amazing. Like we've been in places like middle of nowhere, and someone would be like, just come up and be like, "Hey, Shmi. I'm like, "What? The yep. Yeah. How does this guy know who you are? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's cool. It's very cool. But but uh, you know, it's something you couldn't have even imagined a decade ago. So there's like I say, there's there's never this feeling of being lonely in fact one of the biggest problems is that if i do go somewhere big like los angeles and dubai and i don't mean this disrespectfully to anybody but a lot of people say would you like to go for dinner would you like to go yeah. for a drink would you like to come hang out would you like to go and do this really cool thing but it doesn't involve cars the problem is i've got to film videos edit and upload them yeah. so i can't you know I, I probably have to decline multiple dinner invitations every day of every trip i ever do yeah unfortunately no i'd love to but for me, it's it's my work, it's my job, you know, it's my business to to make the videos. So that's where I focus on. And like I say, editing takes time. I couldn't count the number of times we've we've been on a trip somewhere, and it's like dinner time, and everyone's just chilling out. And then Tim will be like, "Yeah, so um, I'm editing at the table, and that's what's happening because I've got to eat <laughs> and I need to edit a video. This is this is happening. Yeah. And we'll have these hilarious pictures actually quite often of like." six people at a table with their laptops out eating food <laughs> yeah yeah well but i tell you I, what even even in the last couple of years the biggest change to that has been the growth of uber eats and the other food delivery companies yeah it makes life very easy to travel and work as you go and have it all done super efficiently and quickly you don't have to work out what's around you you just open up the app on your phone and pick something and it turns up right yeah that must easy. be super useful even even things like uber just normal uber with traveling yeah. so much yeah, I mean, 
I suppose I should probably be almost embarrassed to say it, but Uber and Uber Eats combine their your accounts with both, of yeah. course. And I've reached I've reached their top tier, which disturbingly means I've spent a lot of money on. I didn't even know they had tiers. But <laughs> yeah, they do, they do, and I'm I'm afraid it's it's quite a large. Do you get any bonuses um, for that? You yeah, do. You you free get delivery. free free upgrades, closest closest arrivals. You get free delivery on food. You get discount coupons. You get <laughs> off Uber Eats. You get all sorts of nice things. So it's a nice, you know, it's like being a premium tier with an airline or something like that. Yeah, yeah. You do get you get you do get nice bonuses, but <laughs> like I say, it's, it's a good good few hundred a month at minimum to get there. Yeah, yeah. So when you look at your Shmi One Hundred and Fifty, and you spend you know all the time fundamentally cars, I guess. How do you sort of focus on it versus like you having fun versus business? Like, are you business, 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 and then try and do a bit of fun or you'd enjoy the whole thing and it's all fun, but also business? How do you balance that? It's an interesting question. It's a really interesting question. It's, It's like the best way to think about this is with any video or opportunity is almost what's the incentive or or reason for doing it yeah is it something that number one is going to be an epic personal experience whether people on the internet care about the video or not is almost irrelevant yeah but am i going to have the most fantastic time or for example is it a car that i'm not very interested in but i know there's a massive amount of internet interest in and therefore from a business perspective it's important that i cover that Mm -hmm. car and share some content about it or is it for example working with a brand and then in which case, how significant to me is that brand? How much do I want to work with them? And is what they want to do inside the envelope of what I'm willing to do? And I would yeah. say my almost how What's do I say envelope? that? My standard is is very high of what it has to be. You know, for me it has to be something like I, I guess one of the latest was uh, working with Lego and Porsche to be building a Lego model while being thrown around a track. That was Porsche's very cool. Test track in a, that that kind of thing is like right up my street because that's a cool experience. It's working with a brand and it's quite a cool video as well out of the out of the end of it. So so that kind of thing I'm super super sensitive to in terms of what we share. So everything is kind of balanced, but it means as a result that it is all still very fun. Yeah, you know, even you know, no no job should technically be fun, but this is about as good as you're gonna get. <laughs> You know, every obviously, don't get me wrong, even if it's driving a hypercar around a racetrack, before that moment, as you probably know, there's traveling, there's scripting, there's planning out, there's making sure the gear is all good, charged, you know, empty memory cards, etc. Then you have your few minutes of fun. Then after that, you've got to copy everything, edit everything, upload everything, make sure there are no mistakes, publish it all, and then finally take a rest. So there's like this massive sandwich. The fun bit is the tiny yeah. bit in the middle, but the rest is you just get on with it because it's worth it. I was talking to someone about this this specific scenario. Let's say you get invited on a to do a thing. Let's say it's a press launch or whatever, and it's drive a certain car, and people will watch the videos and go, "Oh my god, this person is in this sick location driving a whatever something insane," and then you find out they had three laps and they actually had to fly like sixteen hours to get there the day before. Blah 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 blah. How on earth do you, do you find now you do less press trips or depends? This, this links as well to what I said earlier about my channel evolving through different categories. Frequently for me, I've always tried to focus on pretty exclusive content. Yeah. So if you go back to those first couple of years, there were only a handful of people who were uploading car spotting videos. After that, 
going on road trips and you remember well i'm sure when we did the trip with the r8 and your boxster yeah um yeah that, that kind of that kind of best thing. trips Shit. ever yeah that kind of thing where we basically the content became i think i think i double shot videos every day for three weeks or something yeah but had a, a whole huge amount of content that came out of it but that was trying to bring the audience along for road trips which is of course something that's completely normal now but at the time had never been done yeah then going along to press launches, again, when I started mostly through Mark arranging all of this to go on press trips and events, I was the only person who wasn't writing for a magazine. Yeah. You know, I'd be sharing car with, with journalists who were writing and trying and sharing this content, which now leading into this is something that so many people go on that that content is no longer particularly exclusive. Yeah. You know, when, when an embargo lifts, you have 20 videos on your feed of the same car, which to me is takes away some of the excitement, but also is less special for the channel. So I want to go and try and film something that's more my own, which now has drifted more towards the ownership experience of a, a fleet of, of cars and what it's all like and, and more of a, a personal perspective on it all. Of course, visiting yeah. collectors around the world, traveling, and a bit more of the lifestyle of, of cars, you know, of these kind of cars. But that evolution through these different stages has been quite significant and when it comes to press launches what you were just saying i mean i did one last summer where well i say press launch i went to the unveiling of the new corvette c8 yeah um out in california and you know people will see the video where here's the car being unveiled and then here's a quick walk around of it and there's the video right a first look at it effectively but for me that day started waking up in new york flying six hours to Los Angeles, getting a two and a half hour taxi down to the event, getting there just before the unveil time, filming the video. As soon as my video was done, sprinting to find a, to find an Uber in the middle of nowhere, not the easiest, mm. to get back to LAX. Got to LAX half an hour before my flight, having been on the ground for a hand, a hand, like less than one hand of hours for the six hour flight back to New York landing the next morning. So it's a 24 hour immensely stressful adventure to be at an event for an hour and a half yeah to make a video and upload it and you don't see that from the video you see that oh my gosh you got to be at the corvette launch yeah, yeah. which was really cool don't get me wrong really cool but from a work point of view you know that's three days of work crammed into a day effectively you know it's 24 hours on the go and you can't film anything else in that time and you can't do anything else and you've you know you're dealing with the stress and i can tell you i was mightily stressed about yeah. getting my flight back <laughs> And as it happens, at the very same time, my uh, Ford GT that was out in the US was actually at the dealership being serviced that same day because there was a small issue with it, yeah. uh, just a light being replaced. <laughs> but obviously, then you've got the phone calls and you can't reach people. And yeah, it can get stressful. As you said, sometimes you fly 16 <laughs> hours for three laps on a track. Do you think that over time, the bigger social media YouTuber people will end up going to less press launches i know i know it's a personal decision for each person but like over time i mean if we were talking about the channels who do similar things to my own yeah uh, on a global basis the let's say one man band car channels um not the corporate or magazines or whatever channels so to speak yeah so of the one man bands if you take the channels you know like Stradman, Vehicle Virgins, and so forth. None of us really go to press launches. Yeah, You go through a phase of going to press launches, but the press launches, like I said, there are so many people on them. You want to have even that same car in your own experience, in your own environment. So I guess the most recent 
time I did this was the new Audi RS6. I couldn't make, well, the press launch for the RS6 was out in California less than a week after I had left California. Yeah. And I had to go back to Europe for something. And two weeks before that, I'd gone back to Europe from the US, having only been in the US two weeks before that. So it was one of those back to LA and back again for a day yeah, no is going to destroy me. So I, I just couldn't make it happen. Not not for my own health. <laughs> anyway, sometimes you've got to watch out for that. So I wait. I said to myself, you know, I'll make sure that I film with an RS6 as soon as I possibly can. And I did. And I made, you know, a very similar video piece with a friend's car, a mutual friend of ours' yeah. car, when he had taken delivery of it over here driving around in the UK. And it creates a different angle because you've got a different environment. You've got a different, you know, it's not going live on the exact same day as everyone else's video. And to me, I find that just more enjoyable as well because you can see that the audience enjoys it more. Mm. Are you now a pro at traveling? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I've got all of the loyalty cards for everything. <laughs> different airlines, different hotels. What's... I can go away for... No, yeah, carry on. Carry on. So I was going to say I can go away for about three weeks on a hand luggage bag, even with all my gear. Yeah. It's, what are it's your very swift. go-to essentials? Like in terms of gear and yeah, what goes into your hand luggage? And first of all, do you ever check stuff in? No, I avoid checking in a bag. I, if I if I don't need to check in a bag, I will never check in a bag. Only, yeah, very, very rare occasions or when it's one of the few airlines that I know I'm going to travel with that has a, a weight limit on hand luggage or something that's difficult. Yeah. If it's a two-week trip and I don't need to take like motorsport gear or something, then I'm not checking in a bag. So I think the, the main things for me are obviously keeping everything super efficient and easy and this this is actually one thing that's quite funny i'm gonna take the take the mick out of myself a little bit here clothes a lot of people love to tease me for the clothes i wear but it's actually planned and intentional yeah okay. all the shirts all the trousers shorts whatever it might be everything can be worn with everything else so i can do a trip on hand luggage so that i can just i don't have to stress about what i wear i've got clothes onwards next I could yeah. spend a lot more time and a lot more money worrying about what I wear, but I wouldn't be able to travel in the way I do. Yeah, so I okay. have to check in bags. So that all makes life very easy. But then I have, as you can imagine, you know, <laughs> travel toiletries, travel everything, yeah. travel this, travel that, travel adapters, adapters for every country around the world, multi-USB chargers. So when I get to a hotel room, the whole power pack comes out and everything's just plugged in and charging up within about two oh, minutes. Oh, do you pack it plugged in? Yeah, everything's like ready. It's in, like... just out, bish, bash, bosh. Yeah. yeah, my my bag is is literally as ready as you can go. I mean, I've taken a hundred flights a year for the last three years, so I've got kind of used to this. <laughs> yeah, it's it's enough to it's enough to be in the uh, top tier levels with multiple airline groups, which is a concern. But um, it's good fun. It, it starts to become weird when you recognise people in the airline lounges. Yeah. Okay. But, yeah. Oh, well. <laughs> you again. Yeah, side factor of life. Um, <laughs> Let's see what the future for that's like. I'm sure though. people want to know what um, what sort of gear do you film with and and why, so, I guess. So I take a different view to many when it comes to gear for YouTube videos. So one of the big things for me, like I've said, is that it has to be fun. Fun comes foremost. If it's not fun, you'll see that on the video and I think it will take a significant chunk away from what I'm doing. Mm. And by fun, I mean... I don't want to be massively stressing about gear that is not working as it should. Yeah. And on the few occasions rewinding into the past where I have toyed with lenses and microphones and all sorts of other things, 
it's not worked out for me. I've had major issues. So basically what I do is Handycam, point and shoot Handycam, turn it on, starts recording, can squeeze it in my pocket if I need, nothing to stress about. A point and shoot camera for my social media posts, for thumbnail pictures and that kind of stuff, and for memories as well. And then my phone for everything else. And obviously suction cams in the car, but no DSLRs, no external mics, no crazy stuff. So it means that when I do get somewhere, if let's say I've got an hour with a private owner to film his car or his collection, I can literally just kickstart and go and record. Not having to, you know, dig around for stuff for an hour before I can even get started and by which point I'm out of time. So I keep my gear simple. It also makes traveling easier. You yeah. know, everything can be taken in a small bag. I need a laptop to edit. And in some cases, you know, something's broken while I'm on the go. I just buy a new one. Yeah. You know, I obviously resent that I have to, but it's possible. You know, it's it's not going to stop me in my tracks. I'm normally far enough ahead that I've got a couple of days window if I need to come up with an emergency backup solution. Have you randomly um, trashed gear by mistake in some really unusual ways? I mean, it's happened. It's definitely <laughs> happened. I'm trying to think what the best. I'm gen. I'm generally pretty careful. It's more that gear just wears out after time. You know, the nicest, yeah. the nicest way to the manufacturers. Things like handy cams are made for occasional home use. They're not yeah. made for hardcore, everyday, non-stop filming, copying in hot places, cold places. You know, being being worked excessively. Yeah. So I do have a kind of stockpile of spare cameras and parts and laptops and everything at home to grab when I need. I'm trying to think the, the best story of a bit of gear getting broken My was laptop? probably, well, you, I, was, I was thinking your laptop, but that wasn't in car days. Yeah, that's not we, really we can, YouTube should, related. Tim ran over my laptop. I did literally run over a laptop <laughs> of yours in, 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 in that good old Subaru. It survived. We could go, it survived, just had a cracked screen, right? Yeah. Those are the days. Laptops were a bit bigger and heavier back then. Yeah, I think Sony used to Sony used to make laptops back then. They did indeed. It was a Sony laptop. Uh, yeah, and and it was in a bag next to the car. <laughs> and you thought I was parked, and I thought I was driving, <laughs> and there went there went the laptop. Now the the best the best car video yeah. related death to a piece of equipment was on the Gumball three thousand in two thousand and fifteen, Stockholm to Vegas. And obviously you were there, we were there together on that one. And we had the 650S Spider and the Bentley Continental. Mm. And we There's went to Koenigsegg. Behind. Do you, yeah, do, do you remember going to the, to the stop at Koenigsegg at the factory and we went to the runway? Yeah. Or maybe, you, I can't remember if you were there Did on it, that specific Wasn't day, that someone else's camera? No, it was my camera. So we were, we were at someone the runway and, and good old Just Jason had been helping filming. And I think, I think it was Jason. I think... The camera was put on top of the car yeah. and we were behind schedule and it was on the roof of the Bentley and we were so late that we all just drove off. And then I was like, where's the camera? And we were like, oh, yes. <laughs> it drove back and had one very crushed handicap <laughs> that, had been, that had flown off the back of a Bentley that had floored it away on a runway in Sweden. Whoops. Yeah. Do you know what? I, I don't know if I've still got that one, but I've actually still got all of the cameras or the majority of the cameras that I've used. Have you? It's always going to be like a, a museum. Collection. Yeah, I've got, I've got, I've literally got my first ever video camera that filmed all of the original videos. It's about 15 of them in total. Now, you should put um, is, a little sticker on them when they retire, like what number your video you were up to or something. Yeah, something like that. Some I figured it would knowing. be fun for my, um, for my man cave in the future to have a, a display of all my cameras that were once used for Shmi 150 videos. Cause they're not, they're not in like, 
they only get retired when they're no longer in a state yeah, yeah. to be used by someone else. You know, the, sc- the screens have worn away or been cracked or the hinges have broken or like people might say, can I have your old camera? And it's like, you don't want it. <laughs> it's not going to work. <laughs> used. Um, yeah. do, you, do you film 4K? Or... No, I don't do no. 4K. And this is one of the reasons also why I'm happy using handy cams or, or more easy equipment. So this is business head here. The majority of people who view YouTube videos are viewing them on a mobile phone. Yeah. I don't know the exact number. It varies all the time and it depends on the content. And I'm sure if you're creating in 4K, you'll have more people viewing on TVs because it makes better better watching. It's probably still like but 50% at least. Yeah. Gen- generally speaking, I think on my platforms, it's, it's in the 70s. I watch okay. it on a phone. Yeah. On a phone... You can't really see the difference between 4K and 1080p, and nor are you really likely to want to use the bandwidth to view in 4K. Yeah. As you know as well as I do, to copy and store 4K files, to edit and render 4K files, and to upload the resulting files takes a lot longer than 1080. Yeah. Often I'm in hotels with dodgy internet connections. <laughs> We've all experienced that, and it's not it's not feasible. So until the time comes where I can easily manage it, I will stay 1080 because I don't want to be going backwards and forwards. I can't decide when I'm filming. I don't know what speed internet connection I will have yeah. in the evening when I get to my next hotel. So I have to do what's sensible and what's going to you know, ultimately mean I can actually share the content in the first place. Because I get a lot of comments, as you would imagine, saying, you know, sort the audio out. Why don't you upload in 4K? Yeah. I'm, I'm aware that I'm not, but it's calculated. Yeah. If I spend that extra time working with the equipment or the files i can't share that video in the first place because i don't have the time to do it yeah so it's, it swings and roundabouts but also like i said i need to enjoy it and as soon as as soon as i'm sitting there instead of a video rendering in 10 15 minutes i'm sitting there for a video to render in an hour an hour and a half yeah it's not so much fun anymore you want to go to bed you're waiting for it to finish yeah because it's Great. always at the end of the day yes and you want to go to sleep i mean i'm i'm Every single night of, well, not every single night of the year, but let's say a good 200 nights of the year, I'm waiting before I go to bed for a video to be done. Yeah. And the longer that takes, the more tired and stressed you are. And sometimes I don't sleep that much as it is. Yeah. As we were were talking about yesterday, we were talking about various things like sending files and whatever. The ability to have a, like a Dropbox folder or something that you could export to, then it uploads because it's in that folder and you could just pull it across the next day would be pretty great. Yeah, these kind of things. I mean, I guess you learn to make the best of what there is. And to be honest, I have such a repetitive workflow. You know, if you think of it from a company point of view, I'm doing effectively the same thing on repeat, film a video, edit the video, get it online, that it is pretty efficient. I've tried various tools and things that might make things even more efficient. But generally speaking you almost want to slow yourself down to sanity check things to make sure there are no errors, to make sure there are no mistakes. So if it becomes too quick and easy, I'm going to be sticking something out that's got like a double, a double take cut that I messed up or somebody just walks straight in front of me. You'd be amazed how often that actually happens. (laughs) Or like I'm I'm holding my video camera talking to it and somebody will tap me on the shoulder and ask for a selfie. And it's like, wait, what? (laughs) (laughs) I'm in the middle of a video anyway. It's happened multiple times. One of the things that like, I've been with you and, and seen you have to deal with all the time is like, my understanding is you try and do everything in one take or as the, the video in as fewer takes as possible. 
so that the editing is easier. And then you'll get this like random person like walk behind the camera or a car drive past or you mess something up or whatever. And then you're like, <laughs> start again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's just being a perfectionist, right? Making sure it's as correct as possible. I like details. I like the, the nerdy things. And, and one of the details I like is having a, what we could say is a clean video. Yeah. You know, if I could, if I could shoot an entire piece, introducing a new car, you know, walking around, going through all the details and specs, and let's say it's going to be a 12 or 15 minute video or something. If I could film all of that and get everything right in, in one take, I would be super pleased with myself because that's kind of, you know, it's, it's a test. It's a, it's a challenge as well. Obviously, when you're out filming in the natural environment, you can't control other people and cars and yeah. background things. And, you know, even if you're at a motor show or something, you're just holding a small camera and somebody will walk past with a massive camera because they're filming for a TV show. Even if only a handful of people might watch it, they've got a bigger camera, so they get priority, yeah. which is <laughs> quite an <laughs> ironic thing. But it is what it is. What it is. I am. I'm always very jealous of the you being able to do everything from a small camera. Like whenever I'm with my photo gear, I've got the bag that's like weighs 4,000 kilos with lights and whatever. And then you and James and whatever just run around with a little... And yeah. understandably, it gets the job done. Yeah, I, I've honed in my equipment use and the way I do it to work together to be like this. Yeah, I mean, most YouTubers filming car videos do so on DSLRs, yeah. um, you know, with mics on the top and this, that and the other equipment pieces. It's a massive but for fan. me. Yeah, for me, it's also the style of my content. You know, one second it will be pointing at me, and then I'll flick the camera around, and I'll be talking about a car in front of me, and things like that with different lenses and you know, focus. It all just goes completely wrong. Whereas I like the smoothest, always in focus video, just easy, simple, like doesn't hurt your head. Yeah, uh, if you're watching it, you know, you don't have a constant blurry image. It drives me nuts if a video goes out of focus. That's one thing that if I'm doing a long clip. The video goes out of focus. That's a face <laughs> facepalm moment. <laughs> it happens. <laughs> you know, if you're in a dark presentation room or yeah. something, game game over. And it, it focuses on the background instead of your face. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Or, right or yeah, you know, just the whole car just goes into one complete blurry mess when you're trying to show a feature. Ah, oh, great. <laughs> <laughs> right, let's sort of try and get back to the timeline. And one of the ways mm-hmm. I'm going to do this is um, I, I spoke to Tim before this podcast, before we started, and one of the things I've done in preparation, and hopefully this feature will work, is I have some preloaded audio clips of cars. They're actually stolen from Tim's videos, but he's given me permission after the fact. And I'm going to play you a little <laughs> clip, and then we're going to, one, we're going to talk about the car, but you're going to have to have a guess what the car yeah. is and when it is. And I have, I have no idea what's going on. You have absolutely no idea. So we're going to try the first one and see if this works. Oh, the, the, the quality is definitely a challenge. Oh. Definitely a challenge for me to hear this. Do you want me to play it again? Definitely, let's try it again. I know which video that is. <laughs> I thought this would be quite <laughs> I, I, easy. I, I didn't know whether I would or not. That would be on an uh, industrial estate with an Audi R8 Spider that I used to own doing some donuts. It was. It was. <laughs> <laughs> quick, sil- quick, quick silver exhaust. It was the uh, the screeching of the tires yeah. mixed with the uh, V10 naturally aspirated engine 
yeah, can tell and, that one instantly. And so the the listeners will get the the full quality, and there is you've your Tim's hearing this through like an internet connection or whatever, so you won't get it. But there is also an underlying audio track of like music because it was your look back video. Ah, uh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is this is back in two thousand and thirteen. I want to say it must have been kind of spring summer twenty thirteen. Um, the R8, I guess it was one of, well, it probably was to most people who watch my channel, the first of the Shmimobiles, the first of my cars, mm. really, that was super public. That was, um... You came, you came with me for the collection day of that car, didn't you? I vaguely recall. Maybe. I, when it was blue. Very possible. I think, I think you did, from a place just outside of London, just northeast of London, collected it and drove it back. So that was October 2012, picked up that. Good times. Crazy way back. I think you were with me when I sold my previous car the vantage roadster oh i definitely was we dropped it off we went in two cars dropped off my car at the new owner's house and continued down to goodwood on the same day yeah yeah that was <laughs> it's, it's funny we can sort of map your channel in terms of the cars well, the i often of do because i think it it's it's periods right it's it's it segments things in, in some form so what period would you call that the r8 years i mean the r8 years because that was that was in the garage for a year and a year and three or four months late 2012 2013 but that was really when my channel went from this is a bit of fun to wait this might become something hmm. um you know it's 2013 was probably the year for me where i had my first consistent taste of virals i would say you know consistently putting out videos where every month something would be in the newspapers or picked up or, or posted yeah. somewhere so it started you know it, I'm going to be real. Even in 2013, it was barely making enough money to to make back the payments on an R8. <laughs> like, let's not get ahead of ourselves here. But it was, this is fun. It earns a little bit of money. I'm enjoying cars. Let's go. What time? What point in time did you switch from this being like the side hustle to full time? It was mid 2013, but it wasn't like uh, it wasn't necessarily by choice so to speak i mean it was by choice but it wasn't me waiting for now's when i'm going to hand in my notice and quit mm. my the company i worked for at the time in the city of london had a very well it basically had a restructuring setup and yeah. there was the opportunity to leave in a very friendly way and my boss was super supportive um, yeah. i actually worked we had kind of taken a department within the company to go in towards social media uh, in, in the financial industry and it worked very nicely to leave at that point so i kind yeah. of just said right let's do it let's see what happens but obviously even from then and this is what i think people wouldn't necessarily realize even from then before this was i would say a decent living just doing this was mm. over a year later you know it was a good four or five years into making youtube videos it wasn't like from the beginning and and a lot of youtube videos yeah you know 1500 videos let's <laughs> 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 let's let's not be yeah complacent about it it was if not maybe even more maybe even by that point 2000 videos or something i'd uploaded on the channel before it was a, a proper job yeah and then okay let's let's go through let's go through cars let's do it so after yeah. r8 what was after r8 after r8 was proper supercar years the r8 went and was replaced by the mclaren 12c which was obviously the first of a string of mclarens mm. um which kind of got me a reputation and confusion that everybody seemed to think I worked for McLaren or, <laughs> or had some deal with McLaren. But no, absolutely not, never. I just bought the car because they were awesome. Yeah, know, British supercar company, new. I like the tech side behind the 12C. And I'm not going to lie, this seems strange to say now, but 
when I bought my 12C in January 2014, that was, obviously they only had the 12C and the 12C Spider, but that was a time when they had only just started fixing the initial car's problems. You know, the first 12Cs right, yeah. had no infotainment. They constantly had Christmas trees for the dashboard, you know, every light going on. And cars were trading for silly prices. You know, prices that we look at the, the market prices now for a, a two or three year old 720S and we think that's cheap. But that's still more expensive than I bought my one year old 12C4 when it was a year old back in 2000. Well, you know, end of 2013, early 2014. Yeah, that's weird. Um, so it was definitely more money than I should have been paying. That's for sure. I mean, I say it was, <laughs> was £125,000 and I didn't really have £125,000 yeah. at the time. But I was thinking, hey, wait a second. I can make videos with this. I can make cool content with this. And it might open some opportunities up. And it very much did. So it was fully worth, you know, for me, I got lucky stretching myself financially. Obviously, I, with hindsight, I probably wouldn't have done that again. Yeah. <laughs> but at the, at the time, it was a big eye-opener in terms of what I could do and, and created a lot of really cool content over the next year before, obviously, chopping it in, upgrading to the 650S Spider, and then the 675 LT Coupe. So that was kind of the... The early McLaren years, and then it and then it went, and then and it the just, number yeah, of cars went. started to ramp up. Well, it's it's a funny one because obviously, I, I'm a person who away from the camera and people don't really realize this because cars are completely my life. I don't really spend much away from cars. Yeah, you know, all of my my travel is all for business. Yes, okay, I, I travel in you know in a nice way and stay in nice hotels, but. That's all going for, for what I'm filming. That's all, you know, oh. often invited by manufacturers and so forth. So I'm the foolish guy who, you know, some money comes in and I have a hole burning in my pocket and it very quickly goes out on a car. <laughs> that's kind of how it works because, you know, you, do, you can do all of this work and grow a business that's fundamentally online. There's nothing physical that represents what you've done or achieved other than, you know, a garage of cars and, you know, over various times when I've wanted to just stop or had to be at home or something, there's a whole lot of cars that I can enjoy driving and make videos with. And, you know, as we said earlier, go on trips and take uh, multiple of them together. And it's just a different perspective on it. While also fulfilling my, what I thought was an unrealistic dream of one day having a bit of a car collection. Yeah. Um, which, you know, back in those days of, even you know, the beginning of my channel, I had a BMW one series at the beginning if you had told me then that one day I might own, I certainly had hoped that I would own a supercar one day. Yeah. I, was, I was aiming high. But if you told me one day I might own a car like the Senna or the Ford GT or even yeah. have a whole string of them, I definitely didn't see that coming. That, yeah, that, yeah. that wasn't on the, that was, that was above the kind of top of the dream. That wasn't um, in the plan. So now I'm just, you know, get a bit giddy and excited about it and enjoy buying cars. Ideal. Is there a difference between Tim and Shmi 150 as people. Yes, there's a huge difference. It's actually quite an interesting thing even to, to discuss. I very much, put, put it this way, I read a quote a couple of years ago from somebody uh, that, that's rung true with me forever. If you're writing yourself a private diary for yourself, no one else is ever going to see it. It's your private mm. diary. You would write everything you think about in it. If you're writing that diary, knowing it's going to be published and be seen by millions it changes what you write down. It's not your private diary anymore. It's the diary of, I'm conscious people are reading this. Yeah. And that's exactly the same with videos. People, obviously, 
it's still a real experience, but it's a real experience that I know when I shoot it is going to be watched by hundreds of thousands, if not millions. And it changes, obviously, the way that I do it and the way I think about it. And very much, I would say, Shmi is Tim's, as weird for me to say, but Shmi is Tim's character on video. Obviously, in many ways, it represents me in the sense of being super nerdy about details and facts and figures and excited by cars and a passion and love for cars. But it's also a, I don't want to say scripted, but it's definitely planned videos. You know, I know what I'm filming. I know what the video is going to be as a total piece. Yeah. So there is this this huge difference. And, you know, ultimately, there have been times uh, for me where Shmi has had to look happy and cheery on a camera. But behind the scenes, Tim's got something really stressful to deal with. You know, yeah. <laughs> it could be anything from health issues, family, whatever. But that's not for the video. You know, this is a channel about cars. It's a channel purely living the supercar dream, a positive passion for cars. It's not a channel for me to complain about something going on. Is th- is that tricky? That must be tricky if you're filming all the time to be- to come across as positive or does the subject matter lend itself to being positive? I think I, it, it's not that, I wouldn't say it's that I'm filming all the time. You know, I'm not daily, other than on, let's say the Gumball 3000 or something, I'm not daily vlogging. How the much video do you film filming now? part. Well, the film, the video filming part only represents at most a couple of hours of a day. Yeah. Um, you know, a, a video rarely, specifically the camera bit, is more than you know three or four hours. Yeah. Obviously, before that, there's the planning, and after that, there's the editing. But the actual bit on camera is only a part of what's going on. I rarely kind of wake up, start a video, and that whole video runs until I go to sleep at night. Yeah. Yeah. So there is an opportunity to break away from that. You know, if, if I'm visiting a private car collection, for example, the whole video is less than an hour. There's arriving, there's filming, there's walking around and talking and going through the cars and, you know, setting a plan. Yeah. The actual video it might only be a one take, half an hour done, next. So I guess when I pick up the camera and hold it up in the air, you know, the selfie video camera technique, that's when Shmi kicks in, I suppose, and it becomes it's very video time. when you're around. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. But, but also, you know, you speak louder, you speak more excitedly, you speak more enthusiastically about everything because you're acting. And I mean, everybody knows that if somebody's acting a movie or on TV, everything has to be more animated. You know, your arm movements are more animated. Your, the way you pronounce words are more animated. So it is, it is very different. I, I struggle now to make a YouTube video as Tim. (laughs) Because as soon as the camera comes up, you know, thousands of videos later, the brain goes up oh, time to time to you know <laughs> time to be shmi yeah that's so funny but there is a very big difference to me but it's, it's actually helped an awful lot one of one of the toughest things for any content creator in any genre is dealing with hate and whoever you are whatever you do you will get it you know you, you can you can literally be you, you could be the nicest person in the world trying to do everything right and i mean Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. 
Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. That's what I try, but, yeah. but you will always find people who don't like something. Just because they don't like your face, just because they don't like your accent, just because they don't like the car you're driving, yeah, something. And having that separation between Tim and Shmi helps me an awful lot with that because somebody can be really rude about Shmi or say that you know something they don't like, and I just yeah. be like, well, you know, <laughs> you're watching the video, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, like you could have clicked the cross, but you've sat here for longer and written a comment, so <laughs> jokes on you. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so that helps. That's helped a lot. That must be, is that one of the hardest things about having this number of followers and social media, like dealing with negative people and stuff? Yeah. I mean, for sure. Obviously I'm, my, my channel's into the millions of subscribers, millions on Facebook, Instagram, and all of the platforms. And what what's easy to forget is, you know, if let's say in some given period you have a hundred negative messages, yeah, those are the ones that you naturally just, cling on to and you have to train yourself not to and and i've definitely got the hang of this now but i remember the times when it was harder but then what you have to remember as well is that's a hundred out of five million yeah that's not you know that's a very insignificant number at the end of the day it's just easy in the moment to want to kind of backlash and shout out and mm. scream at somebody who writes something negative to you but it's not worth it you know it's just it's just not worth it no you're never going to change you're never going to change somebody's opinion over the internet yeah. Having a fight on the internet is the stupidest thing in the world because no matter what, you both lose. Always. Like, yeah. It's just not worth wasting your time. And it's much more fun to reply to somebody who you know has a genuine point or something interesting to say about the car that you've just filmed or something from the video and have you know an actual interesting, engaging discussion wins every time. Yeah, it's, it's something like a, a sort of negative thing that people put towards, let's say yourself would be oh you're only watched by like 12 year olds what does it matter (laughs) (laughs) yeah exactly nobody cares about your opinion oh yeah exactly you got some examples of of the exact opposite of that yeah i mean plenty i get an email probably almost every day from somebody saying thanks for your video about this car that car or the other car i I bought one and you were right about this i really like it because of this that or the other which is you know something they've got from the video i mean that that happens all the time I mean, you've got a crazy example of that. No, don't have to say the personal name, but like some mental car. Yeah, uh, I could give you a great example. Uh, I can give you two great examples. One, I filmed a video in a showroom where I wasn't filming a specific car in the background. I was filming a main car that was lined yeah. up for me to make a video of, and there was a car in the background. Which no matter the, no matter the, no more than a few hours after the video went live of the main car. Somebody had called up to buy the car in the background, which they had seen on the YouTube video <laughs> and, and bought it. And that was done. Um, wow. Another one that was really fun was a private individual sent me a message asking what color he should spec his car in. Yeah. And I said a reply being, what about this one I saw yesterday that had been at a motor show? Yeah. And then no reply. A week later, photo <laughs> of that car in his garage. <laughs> <laughs> 
Wow. I thought that was pretty good. That was, that was quite cool. But you, you know, I think it's, let's, let's be real. When it, when it comes to supercars, it's not, you know, it, they're aspirational for many. Uh, and in the case of myself, for sure, you know, seeing events like Gumball, seeing people driving in, in nice cars inspired me hugely when I was younger yeah. um, to want to be successful, to want to work hard and to, to want to enjoy these experiences. They're, they're not things that will ever be bought by the masses or they lose their appeal. It's, it's part and parcel, you know, that, that rarity and performance and exclusivity is what makes them so attractive and if everybody had one, that wouldn't be the same. But when it comes to these kind of cars, it's amazing to me how many people do find interest in these videos, particularly, I would say, in the US and in the Middle East is quite an interesting one as well. Mm. But the number of different collectors who have kindly welcomed me into their collections and this kind of thing, you know, c- comes from the back of the fact that, that that many of even these guys do enjoy watching the videos, as I do. You know, I'm, I'm now a car collector who enjoys watching YouTube videos as well. So it, it's it's a bit of a circle and, and just amazing to have some of those chances. Um, but also, you know, to be able to, to be able to share them and to, to be able to hear some of, to hear some of these stories and know that people are genuinely interested in what you've got to say, even down to the people working at the car companies. This is one of the things that's actually a complete dream for me is when, you know, a very senior person at a car company might ask my opinion on something yeah, that's and I have to very quickly engage, but know that my answer might actually impact the product that they eventually release. And that's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. That is, that is cool. That's you, you've got, you've got to the right people at that point in time. Yeah. Um, you know, even up to the, the level of some of these proper seven figure dream cars, mm. talking to, to people who work on those before they come out can be really quite exciting. When you're buying a car, so you, and you are buying quite a lot of cars quite often at the moment. They, why, like, why are you buying them? Are you buying them because you love them? Are you buying them for the channel? Is it a mix of everything? Like, what goes into you choosing a new car? Gen- generally, it's a mix. But I would say that I try to buy cars that interest me as opposed to cars that are just for the sake of it. Yeah. Um, if you look at the cars in my garage, I, I try and... Talk about cars in the sense of, am I buying this one permanently? Mm-hmm. Uh, is it going to be a car I'm keeping hold of in my collection? Or is it a car that I'll have for a couple of years? But I try also on a personal level to enjoy different driving experiences, you know, from the Ford Focuses and the Toyota Supra through more sporty cars or other cars like the G63 through different supercars up to the crazy stuff. Yeah. I think it's easy to assume it's always a game of top trumps, but the reality is driving isn't that. You know, I've owned, I've owned some quirky cars in my time from my classic mini to the Morgan freewheeler to a Suzuki Jimny, you know, it's not just, it's not just how much horsepower does it have and how much money does it cost? It's about what do you use it for? Where do you go and how much fun do you have with it? And I think, you know, I, I just try and have fun and there's no way to understand an ownership experience or driving experience more than to actually own the car yourself. Yeah. Um, so that's why I have quite a you know big variety. I've owned McLarens, Ferraris, Porsches, Mercedes, BMW, all the different, all, all, all well many of the different brands. Some notable exceptions still to the state. But I try and generally get a feel towards what I like. You know, obviously I've had a bias in recent years myself towards McLaren, which is yeah. natural because the company is based twenty miles from where I live, and I've always enjoyed since they started as an automotive company, following what they've been doing. Loved the F one way back and enjoyed watching the races. You know. The days that say of Lewis Hamilton's first championship, etc. 
So following McLaren has always been a big thing for me, and you see that. But then equally, nowadays, I'm gravitating in a big way towards Mercedes, and in particular, the AMG cars. Yeah, you're um, ticking a few of those it, boxes. Yeah, well, the, I, I'm fascinated by the products they make. You know, I, yeah. I really, really enjoy driving them. I really enjoy the brand, and I really enjoy the cars. So it, it will go through through phases. You know, I'll keep some of them, but who who, who knows down the line, you know, what, what what might take my appeal next, so to speak. But equally, you know, even having a couple of AMGs can't not have a BMW M car. You know? Yeah. So it, it's a bit of a mix of everything. I just try and, you know, find cars ideally that I want to keep a hold of. Yeah. I don't really sell very many. This is, this is definitely a, a hoarder's instinct. It's a, it's a buy and not sell <laughs> as much as possible. Yeah. There was uh, like looking at the cars you've got now, are there are any of them like that's in the garage forever? In your head, at least. Yeah, now. quite quite a few, quite a few. And so, I mean, at the moment, instant first spot forever is the 4GT. I, yeah. I don't see myself ever selling my 4GT, like in, in the slightest, for being lucky enough to get the car, but then also what I've done with the car, how personalized it is. My car is in many ways a one-off uh, in the way it's made. Um, mm. Like first car, I think, that had custom-painted stripes on it, the only car that's had a factory bespoke interior. And, you know, it's been around the world and it will continue going around to even more places around the world. So the Ford GT is well and truly for me permanently fixed into the garage. Yeah. In addition, my Aston Martin Vantage GT8, again, such a story. I was in the factory the entire way through the build of the car from it being painted to starting it up for the first time. When it rolled off the end of the production line, I pushed the button to start it up yeah. and signed my name on the chassis and on the back of the seat material and everywhere. So that, that car is kind of mine. And I also think it's you know super special car, only 150 of them. But I'm also uh, very keen to keep my 675 LT Spider. It told me, you know, we talked about it, that segment of the McLarens where I went 12C, 650S Spider, 675 LT Coupe, 675 LT Spider, the four cars, all but all the McLaren P11 platform as it was codenamed. But ultimately the LT Spider was the fourth of the series. Mm. And, you know, it's, it's the oldest car I have at this time. I got it in July 2016, but you know, it's a, it was my first car I ever spec'd in, in a paint color I made. You <laughs> know, it's super bespoke to me. So that's 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 up there. I want to keep my Ford Focus RS Heritage Edition, which is an unusual one. A lot of people wonder why I why I keep. Is that, that the orange one? That is the orange one. They only made 50 of them in total. Obviously, there was incredibly high demand, and I was lucky to secure the allocation. And I. I you know, first come, first served at my dealer and put my name down, paid a deposit and, and was lucky to, to get the car because they, they appreciated that I'd been the first person to ask for it. It followed have from having the blue Focus RS for a few years, the massive tuning project I've done with my red Focus RS, but also the connection to the Ford GT. It, it all, there's always a, all, all a big story behind it and only 50 cars. I feel lucky to have the car. You know, I drive it. It's I've done a ski trip with it. I've driven it through thick snow, mm. but it's just cool. It's just really cool. So those are all definitely in there. I would like to say that I'll keep the Senna and I'll certainly have the Senna for a long time, but I need also to build up some more memories. I like when, when I've bought a car, I don't say that necessarily that instantly I'm going to keep it forever. Yeah, I, I want to experience it and have those memories that mean you don't want to ever say farewell to it yeah um obviously this is all subject to financially being able to do so and i think the center the center will get there obviously it had a long period out of action after the unfortunate incident yeah. with it which 
definitely hindered a little bit of this and not doing some of the things I would have liked to do and, you know, a little bit of a tarnish on the, on the history. But long term, it's such an unreal experience and it's my first car of that kind of performance bracket. Yeah, that oh, unbelievable. I don't see it go. Yeah, I don't see it going anywhere in a hurry. And then the most recent acquisition that goes on this list is the SLS Black Series, which is my first time buying a car, respraying it, controversial. Um, (laughs) (laughs) You know about that one. And, um, but equally, you know, finding a car that that I've gone into buying specifically with the intention of keeping it with one big difference to most of the other cars I own. I bought it obviously having driven a few of them before because it's Mm. an older car. Most cars I buy tend to be brand new and buying new, you haven't driven it before you receive it because you placed an order when it wasn't even announced. And then, spec it before they've even delivered a car so it's quite a different experience going into a car knowing from the very beginning that whatever happens i'll enjoy driving it so i'm going to keep it obviously there are a few more here and there but things like the ferrari gtc for the and the amg g63 fantastic cars but great to own for a few years and then yeah. move on not cars to you know to, to keep, keep in forever. The garage forever you know i'd say the similar story with the amg gtr pro gtr pro right now it's a fantastic car i've not been able to drive it anything like i what I intended due to so many events being cancelled and track days, etc. But ultimately, you know, if an AMG GT Black Series comes along, I can see upgrading to it. If a yeah. Black Series doesn't come along, then the Pro probably remains forever. That's kind of how it, how it will be. Because the Pro and the SLS Black Series together are super cool. <laughs> just, need some, <laughs> just need some time to be able to drive them both and have some fun with them out together. When, like for the SLS Black Series, for example, I know you've wanted a Black Series for a long time but you've sort of held off because it's in for various reasons. And do you think your sort of buying ethos has changed quite a lot in the last five years? Whereas previously you had new things and. I mean, let's, let's perhaps not even go back five years because five years ago I had my 650 S spider. Okay. Yeah. Quite a long time ago. Those are the two cars in the garage. So at the time, very different. In fact, it's, yeah, um, nice picture of the 650S on the wall in, uh, yeah, yeah. in my room at the moment. Good memories with that car. But the obviously change since then, I would say, is that I've been through a period like many. I think we've been lucky to be, over the last few years, in an unbelievable period of evolution of the supercar. Cars have been becoming so usable with insane amounts of performance. You know, whether you're talking a Ferrari 488 or a Lamborghini Huracan or a McLaren 720S or whatever it might be. These cars are all spectacularly quick, but also very easy to almost daily. And because of that, I would say it's, it's for me personally, been very exciting to be with that, to go through the, you know, to, to upgrade my car at each stage and to move into the next performance envelope. But it's also stopped being for me, as I know it has for many, almost a desire to go faster yeah. Because at the same rate at which cars get faster, regulations slow down what you can do and fines and punishments in, in, increase. So it's almost, right, we've reached an amount of power. Who really cares? Maybe now it's time to start acquiring the cars I dreamt of owning but couldn't buy at the time they came out because you know, different different price yeah. category. You know, I, The SLS Black Series is only six or seven years old, but it was £200,000, £250,000 when it came out, sorry which back in 2013, you know, I'd stretched myself into an 80 grand R8. Yeah. Um, it's a very different category to what it is now. And, you know, I feel, I feel very lucky to, to have been able to, to purchase one. But I think that's going to be more 
indicative of what I do next. Yeah. You know, less less the buying just because it's new and limited and special and more buying what I really want. And probably because it's special in reality. Yeah. <laughs> but but also, yeah, yes, it's special in reality rather than special on paper because yeah. it's got a very fast 0 to 124 mile an hour time or whatever it might be. One of the uh, the questions that someone asked, Val3Ball, unusual name, is what, what do you think of the sort of like multiplication and like the fact that everyone's making a special edition now? In my eyes, the special editions are the normal models. That's kind of seems to kind of where we've got in this supercar world. Absolutely 100%. The special editions are now the normal models. But they have been for for longer than I think people generally realize. I mean, if we rewind back to I mean not even not even a crazy long time ago, but 2014, 2015 or so, Ferrari made about 4000 speciales. Yeah. It's quite a lot of cars. I think a, that was the beginning number. of That was lots yeah. of them. Where really, really people didn't even realize how many speciales they were. And, you know, it's a similar number of GT2 RSs now. Yeah. You go into some of the cars arriving in the future, the McLaren 765 LT, 765 coupes and 765 spiders. You know, it's over one and a half thousand Plus a couple cars. of extras. Maybe. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> Special editions and um, prototypes and whatnot. One and a half thousand cars is not a rare car. I mean, even to give the comparison back to the SLS, there are only 350 of those. Yeah. 350 to one and a half thousand. There's there's a huge difference. And that's 350 from a company like Mercedes. Mercedes have have a massive, massive history, been around forever and have huge collectors around the world. So the the meaning, like you said, of what is a special car, that benchmark has completely changed. Yeah. And I I don't know what, you know, none of us really know what's going to happen in years to come. But these last few years, it's been a race to release anything and everything. Um, obviously, there was the, the recent announcement of McLaren with the Elva taking production down from the originally intended 399, quoted as being due to customers requesting more exclusivity, down to 249. Make, make of it what you will, but 249 units of another McLaren hypercar at the same time as 106 plus prototype speed tails plus... They've only recently finished the Senna GTRs and obviously the Senna's. And we know that a McLaren P2 or whatever it will be called will come in the future. You know, these are still big numbers of cars. Yeah. They're not they're not limited numbers, even when you're talking about cars that cars that cost multiple millions. Yeah, it's it's tricky. And there's just so many, like we've got all, all of these electric cars that are all X number of millions. All with similar yes. powertrains. I, we did bodies. a we actually did we did some in, 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 investigative analysis into this actually recently for a bit of fun not all that long ago 15 years ago if you wanted to spend a million euros let's say on a car mm. you had one choice the bugatti veyron yeah you know, if you wanted a ferrari enzo it was half a mil if you wanted a carrera gt it was significantly less if you wanted an slr at the time again only a couple of hundred thousand if you wanted to spend a million you had one option if you want to spend a million now there are more than 30 options that's crazy yeah and don't tell me that kind of inflation has grown that quickly because it hasn't. You know, it's, it's the the way people or the way manufacturers have launched products, and there are literally too many. There are too many cars for the number of people, and again, they're all not not to disrespect the amount of engineering and work, but on the very face of it, they're all similar propositions. Yeah, you know, a lot of money for something that looks incredible and performs exceptionally. Obviously, there are emotional 
factors that differ from manufacturers and there are technicalities that vary even in terms of powertrain and, and the way they drive. But there's a lot of choice out there at that end of the spectrum, which changes again how special those cars are because it's easy to, to lose things and almost lump them together. Yeah. Um, you know, in, in the future, we'll look back and it was an unbelievable period of engineering. Unbelievable. The rate of which these cars accelerated in their development and performance and capabilities. Um, you know, the, the 300 mile per hour or so region, not that long ago, you'd never even have considered it. And now multiple cars are going to be doing it. You know, yeah. it's, it's almost. And, and for anyone that lives in the UK, if you live in Germany, it's a bit different. But so many of these cars, even just let's take a, a 720S as a relatively normal, okay, very, very fast supercar these days, is probably traction limited up to like 100 miles an hour or something. <laughs> Pretty yeah, much. Like, you can't even unleash full power. So anything that's got more power than that and similar sized tires is just traction limited up to 150 miles an hour or whatever. Like you can't you go much what? faster. One of the funniest things I find, and it's really hard to explain this on a video, is obviously I spend a lot of time driving in Germany and I'm spoiled to spend a lot of time as well driving on the autobahn. Obviously familiar. And most of the time you cruise, you don't, you don't put your yeah. foot down flat. But even when I've been over there with my Ford Focus RSs in stock state, they do not have a hard time going even 160 miles an hour. Yeah. And that's just a Ford hatchback. You, you know, let's be real here. They'll, they'll do the zero to 60 sprint at about four and a half. Well, my, yeah. my heavily modified car should be under four and go up to that kind of top speed. Do you really need a supercar? Really? Well, that's something I was, when you were talking earlier, I was thinking about. It's like this gap between what was used to be a normal car and a supercar and like hype or whatever has just gone like this. So your normal cars, like I, when I bought my S4, I kind of wanted an RS4, but I looked at the performance and it's still 0-60 under five seconds. And you're like, yeah. I don't need any faster than that. Yeah. It carries luggage. I, I... Like, so what? Well, I had a, a very similar outing to this recently. Later part of last year, I went to Germany to drive the A45S. Mm. Obviously, AMG taking the, the pocket rocket hot hatch game, well, to hyper hatch territory, really. <laughs> yeah. It was pouring with rain. The ground was soaked. Like the most torrential of days, I didn't want to film outside the car at all because of the weather and waited for a while. But I went out and had my, had a drive in the car and I did a, a a launch control, a race start, as it's called in an AMG, on, like I say, soaked ground, absolutely soaked ground. Yeah. And obviously at the time I was like, this is really fast. But I watched back my video later on and it had gone zero to 100 kilometers an hour in 3.7 seconds. In pouring rain <laughs> in a £50,000 hatchback. Like, that's mental Yeah, when you think about it. Like, I don't know what it can do in the dry. They quote, I think, about 3.9 or maybe even 4. But yeah. It's clearly quicker than that. <laughs> I couldn't believe how quick it was. Like, it makes, it makes no sense that that level of performance, even, I mean, okay, we, we talk about 720Ss and things, but even not that long ago, that was as fast as any car could do. Yeah. Anything. And it's, you know, that's up to the speed limit. 100Ks is the countryside speed limit in Germany. Done. Yeah, it's absolutely, it's, it's mental. And then, like, I've found my attitude to cars has changed. Like, at, at one point in time, it was 
before I started, generally before I started owning all these things, was like I knew all the performance numbers, I knew everything. Whereas now I don't really know any performance numbers anymore. I have a vague idea of, I'm sure you have a much better recollection yeah, of exact say. performance <laughs> figures and that sort of thing. But when I look at a car now, it's all about the experience and what driving it is actually like. And I was talking to some guys recently about, and, I'm, and we've definitely talked about this, why would you buy like an LT, 675 LT over a 650S or 7 whatever, 50 LT over a 720S because it's not really much faster. What's the point? And I remember driving, so I've driven most of your cars and 650S to 675 LT. I don't think I drove the 675 LT, but I drove the Spider. Just completely different. Like, yeah. So much more, just so much more giggles. <laughs> they, they're hugely different cars. I mean, the, the 675, I think, will actually go down in future as one of McLaren's most special cars they ever made. It's unbelievable how much they transformed the 650S in terms of both the feel, the dynamic feel of it, but also the oral engagement, mm. you know, the sound it makes and the, the cracks and, and noises, which are all real sounds. Obviously, even only a few years later, and we're onto a whole lot of fake sounds being introduced in cars. But it's a special, special car that, like you say, was quite significantly changed. And I think this is, you know, not I'm not saying that the 12C and the 650S weren't good cars uh, to begin with, but the 675 is just so much more dialed up. And obviously, I don't know what the McLaren 765 will be like mm. yet over the 720, but the 720 offered even more performance. It just wasn't very exciting. It didn't have that emotional yeah. connection. And I think that's one of the problems that things have got so good that they're just not as fun, but not as exciting. Yeah, it's. it would be interesting to see if you can like put a 675LT against a 765LT or whatever it is, and back-to-back. Obviously, one will be light years ahead in terms of day-to-day and that sort of thing but as a driving experience i don't know i'm sure it'll be more crazy but how more crazy like this okay driving the center that's mental like that's actually (laughs) mental (laughs) yeah the the center is not a car to daily drive i uh each time i've taken it out and obviously you've driven a, a few miles in my car it's such a loud roar crazy experience the steering wheel tugging at every bump in the ground and every single stone that flicks up you hear pinging down the bodywork it's not you hear it once on the other side you hear it go (laughs) ping 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 as it goes down the side of the car and then obviously when you put your right foot down the way it takes off is is pretty insane that that's a bit different and i I assume the 765 will actually be involved quite a lot of that i think think it will have a lot of that sensation but that's you know, the, the, as we've said, these these numbers, and I'm I'm the first to admit it. The set, you know, if 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 I was going to buy another car right now, I wouldn't even with unlimited money. My eyes are not going to be drawn straight away to a car at that price and performance bracket. Yeah, I would be looking for something that's different. Yeah, if you if I randomly gave you three hundred thousand pounds right now, what would you buy? Three hundred thousand pounds right now. Ooh, what ignoring just say, that's, that's, pure value. <laughs> I can't, I can't add an, another SLS Black Series. <laughs> um, that wouldn't make sense. Uh, this is an interesting one. Okay, if I could find, if I could find when no, can no, I no. drive your Black Series? <laughs> <laughs> well, Do you know what? I, at that price point, if I could find one, I'd buy a Lexus LFA. Oh, yes. That, that would be my go-to. I think you could probably get one around that. 
certainly could uh, in recent times. V10, don't have a V10 car, not the biggest fan of the gearbox, but the engineering, it was a statement piece from Toyota and Lexus. And you know, there's a story behind it. It has a reason. It was um, a very cool car. It is a very cool I, car. I like, do you know what? I like cars. You actually see this in my garage. I like cars that have a story. Mm. I love there to be a reason for why that car exists or what it did. So, for example, the Ford GT story doesn't really need explaining over and over again. 1960s Le Mans, 50th anniversary, back to Le Mans 1 again. The Aston GT8, that vantage, or new vantage, or that shape vantage was my first sports car, but also yeah. a hugely iconic car, saved the brand, really, back at the time. Um, but also, they won Le Mans with the GT8, and they won the World Endurance Championship in a different year with the GT8. Yeah. So, again, cool connection. 675LT is a bit different. The Focus is cool. The Heritage Focus, again, there's, there's a, an interesting story behind it. The Ford Focus is the successor, basically, to the old Escort. Mm. So the Heritage RS was launched 50 years after the Escort Mark I mm-hmm. in 1968. And one cool thing was the British Touring Car Championship back in that year was won by the Escort in Allen Man Racing livery as per my Ford GT. So ah, the Focus right. RS Heritage is kind of a cool car for me because there's like a, this whole integration story yeah, between yeah. the different cars in the garage. SLS Black Series, similarly, I don't know if many people really know, but the SLS Black Series was introduced following the success of the SLS AMG GT3 car, which was basically the most dominant GT3 car in its first couple of seasons of any in the series, you know, the various series ever. It kind of won a lot. Yeah. Um, November 24s, Dubai 24s, etc., etc., etc. And the SLS Black Series is the GT3 kind of chassis and damper setup in the road car. Something about the, the Black Series that I didn't know until fairly recently is it's not like it was so much of the development was done by HWA rather than Mercedes yeah. specifically. It's, it's GT3, it, it's, it's a funny one because you take, you know, we're, we're very used to our more modern era had, you know, like, I'm trying to think of what was around the time. 458 Italia going to Speciale? That's a fair mm. comparison. You know, the Speciale yeah. is very much the 458 Italia tweaked. I don't think anybody would argue otherwise. The SLS AMG regular car to the SLS AMG Black Series, like you said, HWA completely kind of started again with dampers and suspension and the yeah. whole caboodle. It's a very different car. It actually has even slightly less torque the way it's tweaked, um, mm. which is unusual. But it has... I mean, you look at the thing, it's about two inches wider. <laughs> it's clearly got something else going on underneath the skin. Um, and you can you can fully tell that when you drive it. It's a very, very different car to drive. Yeah. Very different car. I remember um, when you first drove one and you came back and you were like, oh yeah, this is, this is pretty you know sick. It, it was really unfair. The first, the first time I drove the SLS Black Series was actually back to back less than half an hour after I had driven the AMG GTR, but before I had my GTR. <laughs> it wasn't like the first press launch. So I, yeah. I, my first experience was a direct head-to-head. And don't get me wrong for a second, I'm not saying that the SLS is necessarily on paper a better car than the AMG GTR, yeah. but I was very conscious that my AMG GTR, which was inbound, and the SLS Black Series that at the time had a market value of about three or four times the GTR, if they were the same and I had the choice, it would have been an SLS Black every day. Yeah. The GTR is a fantastic thing in so many ways, but you'll never get that rawness that you could out of the car from a generation before. Yeah. Um, so it was a bit of a it kind of tore, tore me inside. It's like, I need one of these one day. I need to work <laughs> this out. You know, I've, I actually drove them five times, five 
different occasions. I drove SLS Black Series before mine, and every time, every time, you know that first time when you meet your hero, you'll yeah. have had this. You drive your hero car for the first time. You're so high in your expectations for what that car is going to be mm. like to drive. And there's that fear of, is it going to be disappointing? But you're kind of lost in the euphoria of it all, and you yeah. go home, and you, it's, it's the best amazing. So I've had a few times when I've then gone and driven a car for a second time, a bit more, a bit more in a chill, you know, yeah. a bit more, a bit, bit more relaxed. I've driven it and I've been like, oh, okay. It's not quite, it's not quite what I'd hoped it was going to be. Yeah. And then with the SLS, each successive time, it's been like, yep, I need one. I need one. One day. <laughs> <laughs> this is the car for me. This, cool. this car every time. Yeah. Um, so the first of the, uh, you know, the, the slightly, slightly retro kind of icons to add yeah. to the garage. Yes, yeah, so that's um, pretty retro. All these race car ties for some of your cars. Mm-hmm. We don't see you in race cars that often. How no, come? not frequently. Uh, two reasons, I would say. Number one is time. To shoot and upload videos at the schedule I do, obviously I'm very conscious of not spending significant amounts of time doing one single thing. Mm-hmm. And as you know, if you go to a race weekend, you're traveling a day, you're practicing a day, qualifying, racing, and then you're yeah. traveling home and then you're beaten up so you don't do anything. So you, you've spent four or five days for a full-on kind of yeah. big, big thing. So four or five days out, if I can say, for a video. And this is quite interesting. Online doesn't seem to hugely connect with motorsports. Certainly my audience don't really click as much with motorsports as with road cars. So to consume five days to maybe shoot a video that probably won't do so well because people aren't very interested in it. Mm is not an ideal position. Don't get me wrong. I personally hugely enjoy it, but from a video perspective and from a business perspective, shmi mode, um, it's not the number one choice. The, I guess I kind of rolled my two things into one there, but ideally it's it's kind of like, it's fun, but it's difficult and it's not as relatable. I I enjoy the idea of having the car in my home garage, driving it somewhere, going to do a day around a, a track, you know, whether it's go on a road trip, throw in some laps at the Nürburgring, go on to a day at Spa, do a session at Spa and then go back home again. Yeah. Which you can't do with a race car, obviously. You have to pre-book your team and set up and... Ten times the cost you know, and whatever. Yeah. It's it's a hugely, hugely different affair. And it's a very different drive. You know, I've, I've been lucky to drive some serious cars, some some really like big stuff, you know, from the BMW M8 GTE, the M6 GT3, the AMG GT4 car, yeah. the most crazy of crazy, ridiculous twin-turbo Hurricane Super Trofeo race car, tuned car from Zyrus. I'm not sure if you've seen that. Yeah. The 1,000 yeah, yeah. horsepower, full carbon body. That was that was hard. That was hard. I got out of that <laughs> car. Like, I, I'm, I'm out of my element here. I don't know what I'm doing. I think I said that on the video. I think I was honest about it. But yeah. that, that car was, it was very hard to you had to click you clearly had to be driving it on the edge for it to work yeah a thousand odd kilos of downforce and a thousand horsepower you've got to be going full on and yeah it was it was a little beyond me i wasn't the most comfortable i've ever been in a car to be honest but again you know there's a there's so much more preparation that's involved as well even down to gear and being ready for the occasion it's quite hard to just oh i'm going to turn up for a race and go drive a race car and then go home yeah, it doesn't work like that. You have to put in lots of practice. So it doesn't really, yeah, it doesn't really fit in with, and you you can't film practice. I mean, okay, it might be fun for a bit, but ultimately, how many times would it be fun to watch a video of practicing, just practicing on yeah. a simulator on the same track in the same car? 
yeah you know you need to do it to to be good you need to put in the time and you need to to, to train and, and be properly ready in there maybe in the future that time will come but that's basically why i haven't got too much into motorsport at this stage just the occasional bit of fun yeah yeah no totally i'm just sort of slightly bouncing around a little bit now the car guys tv put in a couple of questions mm-hmm. and one of them was how do you feel about the dropping values of your collection brutal uh, <laughs> does it worry you well, I suppose this is a very evolutionary thing at the minute. We're going to learn a lot more as a lot more time goes by. I think ultimately, if I was super heavily financed with big payments, I would be worried. My position is more that each of the cars I've got, there's nothing I'm sitting here rushing to sell. Mm. I'm not I'm not looking at my garage thinking, oh, I needed to sell that car in three months time or six months time and values have completely dropped. Because yeah. generally, I'm quite careful with my purchases. You know, I'm, I don't just go and buy a car because even if I'm not talking about it online, I'm thinking long and hard ahead of what anybody will see about what's next in the garage. Yeah. Um, you know, the SLS Black, I was searching for six months, nine months. So it didn't just happen overnight. You know, one, one could argue that buying an SLS Black series in February of 2020 was probably not the best time in life to have purchased you know i'll look i'll look back at that one in decades to come and be like that wasn't a smart idea but hindsight and crystal balls (laughs) yeah (laughs) you know all of that it's fair to say that you know and it's it's this is such a timeliness question but cars the market's completely drying you know we've had this overdoing of these limited editions which has in turn devalued everything we love but the the older cars and the truly special cars will hold those values. You know, I think they're independent of that. But yeah. ultimately for me, and, you know, I've talked about this quite a lot. We've talked about it now. While growing a permanent car collection, the whole concept of a permanent car collection, is I bought it for that amount of money and I'm keeping it. Yeah. So it doesn't really matter what it's worth. And if it's worth less in the meantime, it means my insurance bill is smaller, which is generally true. is based on value anyway. So it's not really an immediate concern. You know, for the cars like yeah. the Ford GT and the SLS Black Series and the GT8, it's of no concern at all. Yeah. Um, maybe it would have been nicer to buy the SLS slightly cheaper, but the Ford GT and the, SL- and the GT8 and the LT and whatnot, I bought them at list price from the manufacturer. I was the first owner. That's what it cost. Yeah. And I'm keeping it. So that investment and decision was made. Mm. You know, I think probably vulnerable cars, you know, something like my Ferrari GTC4 Lusso, I went into buying it. I bought a car that was almost two years old when I bought it. I knew it was going to lose a lot of money. You don't buy a V12 Ferrari and do a lot of miles in it and expect to walk out with what you paid. Yeah. Um, you might get have a freak situation and get lucky. But ultimately, you know, at the end of the day, it's it's a cost of enjoying and the ownership experience of the car. So, yeah. I mean, it would be nicer if cars didn't devalue. But yeah. if you're not selling something, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. Um, and on the flip side... There's, there's one very big flip side. While I will eventually sell some of the cars I own, the other cars I would love to buy have just got a lot cheaper still. This is true. You know, the, the, the kind of cars in the heady heights, you know, I've, I make it very clear that one day I'd love to own an F50. Yeah. They win, you know, they're selling for $3 million or so yeah. uh, in recent times. And I'm, I'm, you know, that's the value of my entire car collection plus some. Yeah. You know, if an F50 comes down to a million, in a couple of years, I this might be lucky enough, you know, fingers crossed to be in a position to purchase one. You never know. If if everything is coming down, now we and, may argue and that you're upgrading stuff at the top, that the gap between the bottom and the top might get smaller. Yeah. I mean, the, the price to do. upgrade, if you're upgrading, the price to upgrade will be goes down. become smaller. Yeah. 
Yeah. But then some cars like that may not come down. You never know. You never know. We just don't know. Business might completely dry up and everything I'm invested in might go completely wrong. And then. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. No, it's, it's, I, someone asked, I was talking to oh, someone, probably you about this the other day. If, if, if someone turned around to me and said, okay, your Ferrari is worth a hundred grand now. How do you feel about that? I'm like, oh, that's depressing. But I was happy with the price I bought it for. And I'm happy with the car. And I like enjoying the car. And actually, in reality, what that would mean, like you said, insurance would be significantly cheaper. And I would drive it a lot more. Because it's worth a lot less. And it just, you can use it more. So I can give you the the best kind of unfortunate analogy of this. At the start of, of the year 2020, I was saying to myself, right, my 675 LT has depreciated a lot. It's probably now 200, not 350 yeah. or whatever. So and then I said to myself, wait, well, I was like, wait a second. No, I, well, I'm intending to keep the car. I was like, wait a second. That's in the bracket I had said to myself, I can go and drive it a lot more on the Nordschleife because <laughs> I stop worrying so much. So now, now all of a sudden I had all these plans to go and have a whole bunch of days on the Nürburgring Hit, hit some good green hell laps in the yeah. 675 LT because as you just said because the values come down I'm less scared of what might yeah. happen to it cost you know, to it's, replace it's my car I'm keeping it yeah it's my car I'm going to keep it for sure go out and drive it yeah and there's <laughs> this point like we were talking about where there's car values that someone let's say if you look at an 8 to 12 right now new mm-hmm. I don't know 350 340 something like that and you can go and buy one for 260 right now. You can get one for yeah. 260, probably less, 250, 240. I'm, I'm sure behind the scenes you could get one for even less. Yes. But there will be a price where those guys that bought them for 340, 350, or anyone, to be honest, will turn around and be like, yeah, but I like the car, so I'm just not selling it. Like, it's not never going to go down to 100 grand because I'm like, the car's good. Yeah. So, so this will go two ways, won't it? Obviously, Later in this year, there'll be people who are forced out of cars at, at every bracket, 100%. unfortunately, and will have to, you know, mounting finance payments, maybe had a bit of a holiday, but ultimately it's, it's still there. And, and that will obviously create cars like that, like an 812, that have to be moved at a very, very low price yeah. compared to what it is. But like you say, anybody who's fortunate or has other things that mean they can hold on to it, at that price, they just won't sell it. Yeah. They just won't let it go. You know, if you're in a position where you don't need the cash out of a car instantly, you know, if somebody said to me that a car I needed to sell was in that position and I didn't need to sell it, I would definitely just keep it. Yeah. Because that car is worth so much more than that, certainly in terms of experience. Yeah, exactly. That's like, I think everyone struggles with that when they they would like to buy a different car, but they love their current car. And I think if you said to most people or pretty much everyone, here's like unlimited funds in terms of keeping this car. So you can keep this car and it doesn't cost you anything. No one would sell the car. They'd just get another car and keep the memories (laughs) and keep the additional car. But normally, as with these things are very expensive and to buy a new one, generally one has to sell an old one. Yeah, often. Yeah. Right. Uh, I'm going to run through some of these other sound clips. Just so okay. that we've, we've got them done. Okay. And this, this one will lead on to a question. Did you hear that? Yeah, I mean, it can be one of two. 
that if I had to take a bet, okay, is it uh, is it is it eating the Christmas turkey? No, oh, it's not that one. But same car. Is it same I car? Well, I figured Maybe it. I figured same it, car actually. I figured it. I figured it was an Aventador. It is an Aventador, <laughs> the Lamborghini V12. So, uh, yes. So, this one was a white one. This was very early on, with an IPE kit outside a car park. Is this out in Dubai? This is a friend of, like, a friend of ours in a WhatsApp groups. White event. Oh, okay, so you got me. So this must be like late 2012 or 2013 as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Aventadors were a big part of my channel. Yeah. A big, big, big part. I'm trying well, to name exactly friend. Which... This is Hamdi's car. Oh, okay. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> but and which leads me on to a question. You've not had a Lamborghini that I'm aware of. I've, ne- I've, I've never owned a Lamborghini and I get asked all the time, when will I buy a Lamborghini? <laughs> Surely Lamborghini is YouTube gold. I mean, it is. Maybe that's why it's not so exciting. It'd be too easy. You just buy a, buy a Lambo and your views go boom. Isn't <laughs> <laughs> that how it works? Um, no, you know what? I remember a big discussion about this actually on a web forum back when I bought my 650S. Yeah. It was kind of the, after I've had a McLaren 12C, upgrading to a 650S to the internet is still the same thing. as a McLaren, yeah. same kind of car. Same, same. Um, and at the time similar money would have got me into um, admittedly a much older, but a 2012 Aventador, one of the yeah. first ones where, you know, about, about the same money I spent on the 650S Spider. Over the time I owned and mileage I did both probably would have cost about the same and done the same. And it's easy to say that the Aventador would have brought in more views because at that time you did anything with a yeah. Lambo on the internet, particularly with an Aventador you flew. But at the end of the day, this is one of those, like we talked about, I buy the cars because of what I want. Yeah. And to me, the Aventador has always been too big and bulky and clumsy. And yes, okay, it's everything a supercar is in the fact that it is just obnoxiously in your face, loud, mm. crazy. But I liked that more clinical McLaren driving experience, tech. which, yeah, which, which, you know, McLaren, the McLaren introduced a whole bunch of F1 tech, you know, carbon tub, um, actually the Aventador is as well. So that's not necessarily fair, but brake steer, the, the steering Magic feel, suspension. The, yeah, just the, the, the hydraulic suspension was brilliant on it. So that was for me, you know, a, a, I bought the car that I wanted, not necessarily the car that the internet yeah. wanted. I did go into the Performante thinking maybe this could be my first mm. Lamborghini because the Hurricane was such a great car, but it was too rough for me. It's too firm. And I know this sounds, this Why sounds don't a they bit fix strange, this? but it's just too uncomfortable to actually drive. And, you know, I've got a center in the garage, but the center isn't as firm as a Performante yeah, in terms the of seats. the actual like vibration through your body. And I'm quite sensitive to, to it. And this actually is another answer to the motorsport question i as, as you know skiing i did my back oh yeah this was going to be a random a while ago question yeah. that's going to come out how <laughs> what happened to your back yeah that was that was a good um what what was it it was a it was a in, in a snow park you went down first and i'm pretty sure the, i said you know, just follow me and do it this yeah, speed just, last run before lunch just follow me go over this rail it will be fine cue going way too fast over that rail flinging myself upside down and coming down very hard on my back and having three broken vertebrae and a quick trip to hospital <laughs> that that moment there when you were tim's lying on the floor and i'm like what the hell happened to you and then also oh i took that a bit quick shouldn't have done it that quick um and then tim's yeah. these guys are crowding around tim he's like clearly not in a good way and and i'm like where's your camera 
Where's the camera? He's like, it's in my pocket. It's in my pocket. Get it out of my pocket. Get and it everyone's out. Everyone's looking at me like, what the hell are you doing? As I fish Tim's like point and shoot out and start filming. But we, we were both, we were both the same. It was like, this has to be on video. Yeah. Whatever's happened. This is a moment. This is a memory. And then there's um, a video of Tim in a blood wagon going down the hill and then carried his skis yeah. and whatever. Yeah, fun so times, fun Tim times. Broke his bike. But that does mean, unfortunately, that some of these really, really firm cars do cause me issues. And for whatever reason, it's always Lamborghinis. Lamborghinis and race cars. Race cars, obviously, because you feel everything. McLarens have been fantastically enjoyable. Uh, I don't own a car in my garage that causes me the issues. It's either I have an issue or no issue. It's not kind of a sliding Mm. scale. Every Lamborghini is in the issue category. (laughs) Every recent one, for sure. Probably the Urus wouldn't be, but that's a different story. Whereas everything I own doesn't, fortunately. But yeah, it's it's, it's always kind of in the back of the mind. It's, it's always a conscious. It's thing. such a weird one that one, and like I think somewhat it's got to be quite easy to fix. Like the number of people I see generally driving Lamborghinis are not the people that I think they want a really really uncomfortable ride. Like yeah. your firm is okay. The firm and like that sort of experience you get in the center or whatever, and you get this firm raw experience, but it's not uncomfortable. Whereas the seats in those cars, the Performante and stuff, it's just, it's like sitting on a rock. It's just ridiculous. Yeah. The the Performante bucket seat and the same with the SVJ and SV, of course. Oh, never for me. <laughs> never for me. I love the center seat. The center seat looks just as firm, but the center seat's amazingly comfortable. Yeah. When, you're, when you're in it, it's hard to get into it with the bits sticking out everywhere. But when you're in, you're, yeah. you're comfortable and you're great. Right. Let's do the next. Let's do the next audio clip. I can tell you what engine it is. Okay, let's go start with that. It's a Ferrari V12. It is. But I'm going to struggle to work out exactly which clip it is. Can we roll it again? Yeah. (laughs) Is it like a Novatec and Largo or something? Uh, it's not. To be honest, it's you're you're in the right realm. It's um, it's got an army tricks exhaust. Uh, okay, and army I think it's an army F12. tricks video. Yeah, yeah. but F twelve V twelve Ferrari, correct? Yeah, they 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 all sound freaking amazing. It's hard yeah, to tell sound, which is which. Sound very very good. Right, the okay next one. So do you know what the small problem is? The small problem is our audio line, when it gets really loud, means it goes silent for me. Oh, no. So it's, I it's can play it in a quieter silence. volume. I wonder if that will help. I, I'll try, I, I I'll can try hear me like talking, 30%. but I couldn't hear any engine. Okay, here we go. Was that better? Honestly, uh, it was a little better, but honestly, it could right. be anything. I feel, I feel like it's a McLaren. It is. It is a McLaren. Okay, it's a McLaren. That's good. I think it gets quite is difficult it, at that point, huh? Is it the six seventy five at Spa? No, but it's on a track, which is Senna at Estoril. No, no, but oh, okay, six hundred LT at the Hungara Ring. It's a six hundred LT Spider on a track. I don't know where uh, it is. Oh, okay. The Arizona Motorsports Park. Yeah. I tell you what's cool about that discussion we just had, though. 
that was four really cool tracks that I've driven McLarens around. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. <laughs> okay, so 600 LT Spider, the purple car. I remember that at the Arizona Motorsports Park. That was part of the uh, the media first drive um, out in the USA. That was awesome. We had uh, fighter jets flying overhead. Oh, very cool. Yeah, driving around a racetrack with fighter jets, like just current, constantly going past you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's pretty badass. Okay, and and the last one. Let's see where we go with this. It's quite a short one. It is quite a short one. Go again, go once more. It, it's the same problem that I lose a bit of the sound. I can oh. hear the amazing backfires. Okay, so that's, that's a, the that's bit a, I can hear. It's a bit. And trying to cars with backfires like that is it another aventador no it is a v12 okay what has a backfire like that this is testing my brain in 4000 videos this i would say is probably a highlight oh it's the zonda cinque of course yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> a v12 with a backfire like that it's funny because I, I literally on the sound it kind of goes dead silent and then <laughs> as you get that explosion yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that day with Dan am I taking out both Zonda Chinques. Yeah, that was cool. Dan's a legend. <laughs> That's pretty cool. That is pretty cool. Right. Now, normally to sort of wrap these up at some point, I have five questions. So mm-hmm. I'm going to run through these five questions. Do you have a most memorable driving trip or journey? I have, I have a number one answer for my YouTube channel, which was mostly because it was absolutely chaotic. Do you want a really quick answer or a longer answer? Don't mind. Whatever it goes. Let's go. Let's go. <laughs> so, so I was in the French Alps with a Panamera 4S mm-hmm. doing a trip, driving, filming videos, when I got a phone call from Mercedes asking if three days later I fancied being in South Africa for the launch of something pretty special. So I had a loaner car in Switzerland that I had to drop off at the airport, dump my winter clothes at home. So I got to Geneva, dumped the car with a truck to take it to back to Germany, got on a flight to get rid of my winter clothes, to run home to get some shorts and shirts to go to South Africa, to catch a flight to South Africa, with next to no notice, which was to go on a safari in the Maybach uh, G-Wagon Landolet, so the massive kind of G650, you know, bi-turbo. Convertible V12. type thing convertible thing standing in the back of a convertible g-wagon that costs about a million euros that they only made a hundred of them filming lions and elephants so i didn't (laughs) even drive because the car was imported in south africa as a prototype test vehicle which means only people who work for the manufacturer are allowed to drive it okay legally so i never even drove the car but it's still one of my most memorable automotive journeys ever <laughs> was going to South Africa at a moment's notice to film lions from a G-Wagon. That is very cool. A very cool yeah. car. <laughs> I remember that trip. That was, that was pretty sick. Okay, that was, that was a good one. Okay, next one. This is, for most people, this would expand the size of their garage. But for you, this is going to make it smaller. You have a five-car <laughs> garage, unlimited value. Five car garage, unlimited value. And well, the, I guess the I caveat should... for most people is it's got to fit into your life. So if you have kids, you've got to have a car that you can put kids in, whatever. Okay, okay. So I can't just like pick five of my cars. I mean that doesn't make sense. Maybe I'll, okay, I'll do it with a twist. I'll really... do some of my. I'll do some of mine because 
like if it's yeah if it's forever then yeah i would always have my new ford gt yep um instantly because i love it i would also have the ferrari gtc faller so because mm-hmm. it is my favorite daily and when you say fit into your life i don't have kids i don't have a yeah. massive need for practicality so the Lusso is about as practical as I need to go, even though it's a three-door hatch technically. Yeah. But it does have four seats and it does have a boot if you need it. So the Lusso is number two. I would throw in a classic. My dream classic to own one day is, well, my like classic classic yeah. is a three, 300 SL Gullwing. Nice. Mercedes Link or what? Me yeah. right now. Um, so I'd, I'd throw in a 300 SL Gullwing in there. More modern classic. I would go with, oh, this is where you get into the like money's no object. I mean, if money is lit, if if money is irrelevant, you can't sell it and use the money for something okay. else. Okay, okay, then an F fifty. Yeah, um, I would have gone with McLaren F one, but I I've never driven one, so I don't know what it's like. Yeah, but I love the F fifty. So F fifty. So we've got Ford GT, GTC four or so, three hundred SL, F fifty. I need one more to kind of round out my garage. What do we have? Manual V twelve. See, I, this is what I do. I go straight into the like. It can't tread on the toes of anything else. Yeah. something that's different it's got to be different it's something that's different experience different engine different drive do 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 i might throw in something something fun for just more enjoyable driving this is this is where i might throw in like a a new cayman gt4 or something something that's reliable usable but fun to throw down english countryside roads yeah maybe i'll go with that i'll throw in a gt4 interesting in that's cool yeah not so much on the practical front but i don't it doesn't. My life doesn't need much practicality. A GTC Four Lesso is some is pretty practical. Yeah, I've picked up a two meter IKEA bookcase in it before. <laughs> oh, well, in the FF, but same thing. How does it? it how does it compare to the FF? <laughs> the Lusso, it's an interesting one. The FF was clearly a Ferrari with that shape. Yeah, it drove very much like the four five eight at the time. You know, super twitchy steering, super super sensitive throttle and brake yeah. pedals, and just the way it felt, just felt like a spritey sports car. The Lusso is evidently the car that Ferrari wanted the FF to be. It is softer, it is more docile, it is more comfortable, but it is significantly improved in every way. Yeah. So it, it's just a better car, real steering, better infotainment, more refined, much nicer interior, but it's a much more docile driving experience. It's not that same uh, in, in normal. Obviously, yeah. when you dial it to the limit, it's still a like high-revving Ferrari, naturally yeah. aspirated V12. <laughs> it's, V12. It's, still a, it's a bit of an animal, but it starts life as a more comfortable, normal car. Yeah, yeah, cool thing. Right. If you could only drive one car for the rest of your life, now, there's a, there is a little caveat on this one. You're allowed like a £500 beater to put stuff in if you need to. But other than okay. that, you've got one car. One car to drive for the rest of your life. But you are allowed a practical something. And not Ooh. practical in your GTC4 Lusso kind of way, as in like it literally costs five hundred pounds. Yeah, like like you can <laughs> just use it if you if you if you need to move a sofa, you've got a car to move. Yeah, it you can do it, or like a chair or something. Yeah. Okay, okay, oh. and this is where it really can't be something silly because silly cars need so much servicing and maintenance. You'd always be driving around in your beater. That's that's true. The certain put certain <laughs> brands off the cards. Yeah, you, you can't you can't go for like a Carrera GT or an F fifty or something because you won't really be driving them that often. Yeah, hand reliability things you might be hinting <laughs> at. Ooh. One car. I, I could happily live with my SLS black. Yeah. 
I mean, that, that would actually be a car because it's not like too awkward to use and it's a Mercedes. Mm. I mean, I'm going to go with that. Nice. Nice. That okay. works for me. Um, what do you think is the most undervalued car? What do you think is cheap relative to what it should be at the moment? <laughs> well, a 200 grand 812 Superfast. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, what's cheap? A 12C. You can get a 12C for like 60, 65 grand. Yes. I mean, yes, it's cheap because there's so much servicing and maintenance potentially, but the amount of performance you get for £65,000 in a 12C is insane. Yeah, it'll do like like 215 miles an hour or something. Yeah, and it will set very fast times on racetracks and it feels like a supercar. It's a carbon tub. You've got doors that, you know, open upwards and outwards. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable that you can get into a supercar for... And I mean, I know, as we talked earlier, the A45's performance is crazy, yeah. but 55 in the UK is a loaded spec new A45S. Yeah. 10 more gets you into a McLaren 12C. Which is faster like, than the new 911 Turbo S. Is it really? Wow. The performance number I mean, is still faster for a 12C. Yeah, 12C is 625 horsepower back in well, late 2011 it launched. It's a fast car. Very yeah. fast car. That's my performance bargain. Yeah, for sure. And the final question, what is the most interesting car to you at the moment? What are you Googling? What are you looking at on Instagram or whatever? I guess I've spent the last year Googling SLS Black Series. (laughs) 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 Not many, not many other cars right now. You know, you go through those, you go through those phases. I'm trying to think what's, what's on the, uh, on the agenda. What am I watching? No, that's the only car I've watched kind of every video of Mm. um, is recently is like the sls black you know whether it's chris harris doug demuro carl wow yeah fellow uk youtubers whoever it might be i've watched every kind of full sls black series video in recent months yeah and now i'm making my own nice <laughs> nice well that very neatly wraps up our podcast how um how long do you think that was without looking on your laptop to see how long it's recording well i, I kind of know it's oh, about okay. two hours and ten minutes <laughs> yeah yeah, that's, that's good going. Good going. Well, thanks for coming on. Absolute pleasure. And uh, I'll wrap that up. Cheers. Thank you very much. I'll see you later. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.